Hello and welcome to the Shea Hates Everything podcast where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate no longer having control of my own schedule. And my name is Kyle and today I hate my flagging strength. Flagging is a good, it's a good verb or I guess an adjective in that, in that context. Is it adjective? Is it a verb? Yeah, a, yeah. Flagging. No, I column think it'd be a, a verb. Column A, column B. Yeah, whatever. But that's a good, it's a good word. It is. Um, I, I will say, I guess before we jump in and stuff, obviously it's been several weeks since we have had a podcast episode. I want to thank everybody for your patience in waiting. Hopefully not too many people have dropped off and acted like, well, the podcast is never coming back. Um, I had, I had a child in between the last episode and this one. So that is why we had the delay. Only one Having though. Ch- yeah. There's only like yeah. one kid. Yeah. Having a child is, um, it is difficult. It is not easy. Um, you don't get much sleep and you don't have much energy or time or sleep or, um, other, other things like sleep you don't have that much of. So it's hard to sit down and record a two to three hour podcast. So we didn't, but now we are. So let's hope it goes okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess we should like preface by saying that the only reason we're able to get together and record this podcast today is because you lost your daughter. She's nowhere to be found, <laughs> so you just don't have to That's... take care of her anymore. No, that is awful. So we not, <laughs> we can accurate. now officially <laughs> record podcast <laughs> at, rec- with reckless abandon. Yes, uh, she is nowhere. We're going to be, be found. stocking up. We'll be doing a podcast today until she is found. <clears throat> yep. That way we can, uh, you know, we'll have some, we'll have future proof episodes, uh, I guess. Uh, no, yeah. but uh, uh, early like uh, springboard topic mm-hmm. for a, a name for this daily podcast. Oh, baby, where art thou? Yes. <laughs> True. That's Accurate. that's my early pitch. <laughs> No, but uh, we are able to record this because my amazing wife is willing to be a solo parent for a few hours um, in order for us to do this. So we will continue to do it. Let's hope, but we will do. We will. We will find a way. Life finds a way. In fact, and eventually, like we're we're in a rhythm now. Uh, it's it's weird because days don't really exist anymore. Um, it's like in three hour increments. Because that's when she feeds, like every three hours. So she feeds, and Kelly pumps, and I change her, and burp her. Like that, and it just happens every three hours. So it's just kind of like, that's how we look at life now. Especially in the middle of the night, that becomes a little difficult. Because like, we're, we're operating on, we're typically getting four to five hours of sleep a day. But those are in hour and a half increments, basically. So it's not like I'm laying down at 1 a.m. and getting up at 6, which would be bad enough. It's I'm laying down at 12.30 and then getting up at 2. And then feeding and changing, going back to sleep at 2.45. And then waking up again at 4.30 and doing the same thing. And going back to sleep and then waking up again at 8. And then I'm up for the day. So that's like, it's not it's not great. It's not a great way to live and be able to think straight and coherently and, and accomplish things. Doing this podcast is probably the biggest thing that I have taken on since she was born. I've like <laughs> gone to the grocery store a couple of times. We drove to go to the pediatricians the next day, like the day after she was born. Those were all big 
outings for us. But sitting down and committing to making my brain work for two to three hours today is the biggest thing that I have done. So hopefully this works out. So here we are doing the podcast. <laughs> so forgive my ignorance because I don't have children, nor do it I It was want a girl. Children. Yes. <laughs> okay, that okay, that fills in some blanks. No, um so y- you have to feed her every 3 hours. Is that just like that's just fucking what babies need? It's just every 3 hours like you can't just get a full night's sleep and then feed her in the morning. Like it's just like she'll like Thanos and turn to dust if you don't feed her every 3 hours or what? Well, she'll she'll cry and whine and scream because she's hungry. That that okay. that's the cycle that they are on in order for them to get their nutrients because they're like I mean she weighs I mean at this point she's probably up to around seven and a half pounds so she's quite small and her stomach is like the size of like a small stone right her stomach is not very large so she cannot eat very much at one time so she has to feed very small amounts more often. Yeah, exactly. Because gotcha. she's like growing and her brain is growing and she's starting to get muscle memory and movement and she expels a lot of energy when she moves around and cries because she doesn't have that much energy. So she's not like us. Like she she can't eat a shit ton and then starve for a day. She has to keep getting nutrients. Otherwise, she'll continue to lose weight. And the vast majority of babies, including ours, had have jaundice when they're first born, which there's a, a thing called bilirubin that is inside of them that makes them yellow and like their eyes yellow and it's it's bad for them and they need to poop and pee it out and the best way to do that is feeding them to make them pee and poop. So the gotcha. less you feed them, the more the you know less frequently they're using the bathroom. Well, it's not like she's using the bathroom. The less frequently she's shitting her pants and I'm cleaning <laughs> it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although that that part of it is the transition of cleaning shit off of a person's butt, right? Is it, it is designed and and I know like and, you know you can take God out of it if you want, but I'll use that perspective. Like God designed it to make it the best transition possible. So when she's first born, her excrement is all the stuff that she was getting inside the womb, and so it's not like. I don't want to go into too much detail because it's kind of gross, but it's like tar when it comes out. It's like nice. sticky. It's scentless, but it is like easy to clean up. And then slowly, once she starts having the colostrum, which is the stuff that comes before the milk, and then she's having milk slash formula, it starts to become a little more liquidy and like seedy and like literally seedy. Like it looks like little tiny seeds and it's like yellow. And it doesn't smell yet, and then eventually it starts, like, it's now, it now smells bad. Kelly says it smells like extra butter popcorn in a bad way, and I think it smells like day-old mac and cheese that's been sitting out. So it's not pleasant. Smells like baby (laughs) shit. Yeah, it's not not pleasant, (laughs) but it's going to get way worse. That's that's my point is the transition is helpful because it's not as nearly as bad as you might think at first. And at this point, I'm used to it. Like, I don't enjoy it, but it's fine. I have a really bad gag reflex. I'm very sensitive to smells yeah. and, and that kind of thing. And I've been dealing with it totally fine. It's going to get much worse. Once she starts getting food food, even like baby food, and the consistency and the color and the smell becomes more like adult human shit, then it's going to be bad news. But you get a nice long ramp up time to that. So there's your shit minute. 
So <laughs> well, this will be this will be our new segment. <laughs> so so like three months old, you're already sticking her on the potty training. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like I at wish. this point, her shits like are like human shits. As soon as that happens, it's potty training time. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, my my nephew is currently he's like mostly potty trained, and he is three and a half. He turns four this summer. Oh, what a nightmare. So it's a long time. It's a long time before they're ready for, to take that on. It's a big deal. Sitting on the toilet's a big deal. I don't even get it right 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter has no hope. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that's where I'm coming from today. It's 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 a wonderful adventure. It is very difficult uh, and stressful, but it's incredibly rewarding. It's, it's everything everybody always says. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. She's she's two weeks old, as of as of the time everybody's listening to this. She's two weeks old, so we got a long way to go, but uh, it's been fun so far. It's like I I just don't have that much energy or desire to really do anything other than sit in front of the TV and like watch stuff with Kelly in the hour and a half that she's asleep. Because primarily in between feedings, like she's asleep. Sometimes she's awake and just kind of like looking around and being active, but mostly mostly she's sleeping, which is a pretty good spot to be. Because we're exhausted, we don't want to like deal with fussiness and and having to walk her around and all that kind of stuff. If she just sleeps in her little pillow thing on the couch with us, that's ideal. So I guess that transition us out. It's been like a month since we've done this podcast, right? No, maybe three weeks. So we got a lot of stuff. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of stuff pre and post baby, and I know you've been doing a lot of stuff too. So we might as well jump into it. First thing I'll I'll, I'll jump out and say. Last episode, which feels like months ago at this point, I had mentioned that I was not quite done with Kingdom Hearts, and I was going to save my rant for when I was done with Kingdom Hearts. Well, I finished the game like a couple of days after we recorded the last podcast, so it's been quite a while. It's not as fresh for me anymore, but this is my last opportunity to talk about Kingdom Hearts. I'm currently working slowly on my written review. Every time I kind of like get an impetus to like, Oh, I just got to get this off my chest <laughs> is when I go and jot down some notes and eventually I'll put them all together. I want to do that review, but it might take a while because it's not fun to write, especially because like I've gotten all the shit out uh, on the podcast. So it's like, I don't know. I lose a little bit of the, the passion to like feel the need to get my opinion out there, but I still want to do it. So I will. Um, right. The biggest thing, if you remember back to last episode, we had, or I, I should say, I likened Kingdom Hearts to Metal Gear Solid in that they are both anime AF, stupid stories, bad voice acting, just complete utter, and utter nonsense. Whoa. And you, and you argued against this fairly by saying that the, the biggest thing that Metal Gear Solid has that Kingdom Hearts does not are uh, nanomachines. Right. And you, you had posited that should one day... Kingdom Hearts present nanomachines inside its story, then the analogy between Kingdom Hearts and Metal Gear Solid could be made. Well, in the Big Hero 6 world, which is like the last Disney world before you get to the end game, which is a bunch of other worlds, which we'll get to in a second, which I think is called San Francisco, is the name of it. Um, in that storyline, with the Big Hero 6 storyline, you fight against microbots, which if you put the word nanomachine up against the word microbot, they are, like, completely synonymous. No. Micro-nano. Bot. No. 
machine. Yes. <clears throat> Micro and nano are not synonymous. In engineering notation, nano is three degrees removed from micro because it's, it's uh, millimicro nano picofemto in terms of engineering so, notate, notation. And I'm so not nano using engineering. Is, I, I'm, I'm using definition of the word meaning small, nano and micro. Both but I'm saying nano is three powers of 10 smaller than micro. Right, but that's not what I am saying. <laughs> I'm, I am not, we're not talking, are you an engineer? Are you uh, a I took engineering classes. So the hell what? Everyone takes engineering classes or some kind of mathematics classes. That's not no, what we're I took coming from. Actual engineering classes. You are a special ed teacher slash high school theater director. Yeah. I am I work in marketing. Neither of us can speak intelligently to the differences between micro and nano from an engineering level. Someone wants to write that I just in. Did. That's great. I'm talking about the actual words themselves. Kingdom Hearts is in, not Metal Gear. In regular language, it's bullshit. nano and micro both mean small. It's not Machine true. Machine and bot are both synonymous. No, you cannot argue. This is too perfect of a situation for you to try to argue against it. You had said the biggest difference, the biggest differentiator between Metal Gear Solid and Kingdom Hearts were nano machines, and literally the next world that I went to in Kingdom Hearts, there were nano machines. Like the, it, that, it's hilarious. You have you have to take the L. You just have to take the L. No, they are the same. I you never cannot- lose, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> that it is too perfect. You you yes, you lose. You lose this one. <laughs> if an engineer wants to write in and, and tell us Damn about it. the differences, we can revisit this. But where we are right now, Kingdom Hearts, Metal Gear Solid, the same game. Someone <laughs> someone email. Someone please help me. Uh so as to the actual game and the way that it wraps up, it's really hard for me to say because so much of the weight of the story was lessened given that I hadn't played a bunch of the side games. I was only tangentially familiar with a lot of the side characters like Aqua and Ventus and Terra and right. a bunch of the Organization 13 characters that were in the side games as villains. Like they, they, This was the first time I was seeing the vast majority of them. And so a lot of the little moments did not hit me in any significant way. But looking at it as the final chapter in this trilogy, right? where I had played both other entries in the trilogy, this went so far off the rails, was so unintelligible at times, that I was just kind of like, I don't know what the hell is happening. I'm going to go ahead... I mean, I'm not going to go into like big story spoilers, because that's not really necessary for this. Um, and just in case people care, like there's, I, don't, I don't feel the need to get that out right now. Maybe I'll get into that in the written review. But the bigger things that I want to talk about, is, it's, it's more gameplay spoilers. So if you're still playing through Kingdom Hearts, you're still interested, don't be. <laughs> but uh, I will go into that. So one of the potentially cool things that they did was different boss battles that you can kind of take at whatever time you want because it's a bunch of team-ups, right? Like, you have your seven Keyblade Masters or whatever, Riku and Kairi and Mickey and uh, Lee slash Axel and then, like, Terra Ventus, Aqua, all those guys. And they're all, like, partnered up in different uh, scenarios fighting bad guys from Org 13 who also had partnered up. So, like... I don't even, I'm, I'm like already missing names, but like Xemnas is fighting with the Organization 13 guy that has the guns, and then 
Xehanort, no, Xehanort's the big bad guy. Young Xehanort is fighting with the Org 13 guy that has a scythe. And it's just like, it's different combinations. Like Mickey and Riku are fighting those two guys and Aqua and Terra and Ventus are fighting these three guys. And so you can take those on kind of, oops, kind of whichever uh, order you want. But you have to do all of them, obviously. And that was potentially cool because it's like, oh, okay. It, it's a different team up for, for each boss battle. So are the, you playing... You're as you're Sora every time, though, right? Correct. Just along Sora with runs to each different group. Exactly. Okay. The place that it falls apart is that none of those boss battles actually end up being interesting or require any different tactics. Like you are still just mashing the X button because the combat is not difficult, and eventually you just wear them down and and beat them. Like, and they attack you, but it doesn't matter because every time you are low on health, you can cast Kiraga and you get full health again. Like it's just not. There's no real challenge to any of those. So it like could have been cool if they made you fight each one in a different way. Or like the team up gave you some kind of special team attack with your guys. But it doesn't. You're just wailing on them until they die. Um, added on top of that, because throughout the game, nothing is actually happening with the Organization 13 story. Like it literally just spins its wheels the entire time. Right. Each world that you go on literally does not progress the overarching story at all. I mean, I talked about the whole power of waking thing ad nauseum where each time you're like, all right, let's get back to finding the power of awakening again. Like nothing happens in the main story based on each world, which makes all of those meaningless. But then once you get to these final worlds and there literally is a world called the final world. And guess what? It isn't the final world. Uh, that like fighting these guys doesn't, it's not cool. It's not, interesting there's no like revenge narrative because you haven't seen them the entire game or right. they've popped up for one cutscene. like well, you haven't, haven't interacted with anything. them yeah so it's kind of like it's like it there's no build-up there's one awesome 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 moment where um i'm trying to remember like even the specific context of it but it's basically like xehanort is controlling this giant tornado of shadows and it, it kicks your ass you, no, I won't go into that. Um, but there's there's a point where you summon the power of because you're on like the key Keyblade War world, which was tied into the mobile game where there were like a shit ton of Keyblade Masters and they all died or something. It's a Keyblade graveyard. Keyblade graveyard. Yes, okay. that, that's the name of the planet I think or the world. So you're there, and uh, you're fighting this shadow tornado thing that Xehanort controls or creates, or it comes from the actual Kingdom Heart sky thing when it opens i don't remember but you basically are surfing on your keyblade using powers from each other keyblade like you can pull out infinite keyblades and shoot it at the thing and so you're just mashing triangle like the special attack button and the name of each attack is like a player character's name from the mobile game does that make sense so it's like steve w 27 and then it's like Mighty Manotaur, and then it's the Drum Kid 92, and so you're hitting those and throwing that person's quote-unquote keyblade at the shadow thing to do damage. That's really dumb. It, no, it's cool. It's very cool. And it, 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 because there is a build-up, and I don't, I don't want to go into the story part of it, but like there, this, the shadow tornado thing beats you, and then you're able to fight it again. And this is like the big, it feels like this is the big final thing. 
and you're just like you I think you can get hurt but it's hard to get hurt and you just have infinite keyblades or you're just like super all powerful doing damage and wearing it down and eventually you beat it and if that had been the end of the game I would have been like okay obviously I this game is a bad game but like this last moment was fun fan service basically but there's like five more hours after that so it that totally loses all impact (laughs) so yeah really like this the game does not end uh once you get to that final world area after the shadow tornado beats you i estimated there was about six hours left of gameplay which is way too much like once you once i beat the San Francisco Big Hero 6 world. I was like, okay, now I am in the end game. Now I am going to get to the final world, not literally capital letter final world, but whatever the final world is. I'm going to go there. I'm going to have the multi-tiered boss fight and that's the end of it. And no. There were like 9 hours left after I beat the San Francisco world. That's absurd. Way too much game. Uh and then you get to the final fight with Xehanort where he like morphs into this goat man totally out of nowhere and you're on this other random world that i'm sure hardcore kingdom hearts fans will know what it is but i don't and it's just not an exciting fight there are a couple different stages that he goes to but again you're just you run at him and you mash x and then eventually you beat him like there's no tactics that you're using there's nothing interesting or new that happens during the fights so it's just like it's just a lame way to end a game that is full of lame stuff. <laughs> like I, I'm not, I'm not surprised, uh, but I can't help but be a little bit more, uh, even more disappointed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Kingdom Hearts three. It's it's a bad video game. Um, I will do a written review eventually to get that out there. But uh, if you want to hear all my thoughts, man, there's a lot of talking about Kingdom Hearts the last several episodes. Yikes! That's like. You know, it's the wound is still fresh. So, like, I try to go through my days, like, ignoring the fact that Kingdom Hearts 3 exists. Mm-hmm. So whenever we talk about it, it really bums me out. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's hard for me just because, like, it's been long enough since I finished it that, like, I've moved on. You know what I mean? Mentally. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not, like... I don't want to re- like I've blocked <laughs> I've blocked those memories. And so I don't have the same kind of zeal that I've had in the past as I was actively playing the game. Now it's just kind of like like yeah, it fucking sucked. Yeah, it sucked. Like what else do you want me to say about it? It's bad. So that's where I'm coming from on Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, I played a little bit more of Banner Saga 3 just like another hour or so just because of you know my daughter being born it's like it's such a dark depressing game I just am not in the state of mind where I want to spend what little free time I have doing that so I haven't put significantly more time into that but I'll continue to chip away um what about you what what have you been playing um just like a lot of short bursts of some random stuff just when I have time because like Mm -hmm. The show's in less than three weeks, and I just don't know how I'm going to be able to get everything done before the show. (laughs) I mean, anyways. Um, So I played, there was one night where I got to play Don't Starve Together with some of my friends online. That was a lot of fun. Um, And how how many players can you do? Is it just two-player? No, you can get it for like six or eight or something. Oh, okay, there, there, I Sweet. think there were six of us. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, like at a certain point, 
because we were all playing a different character and each character has their own strengths and stuff, all my friends knew exactly how to play their particular character and like mm. how best to kind of like like what they should be focusing on. So we were like never really in a situation where we didn't have any food or other supplies and stuff. Like right. felt like we always had just as much as we needed. Um which I guess is like kind of what you want out of it. Um so that was a lot of fun. I've been toying around with a couple different Minecraft mod packs just recently, just messing around. Um, my friends got me to try. They've been trying to get me to play it. I've had it, but I've never played it. Um, Divinity Original Sin 2. Okay. Um, it's like a top-down, kind of isometric, like, click-to-move D&D yeah, old-school RPG kind of. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess, just, like, the systems that work in that game are pretty crazy, like, the way they all interact. Um, so I played that for, I don't know, like a good four or five hours with a couple of my friends. Um, and I shortly realized that I hate point or I hate click to move games. Mm. Like not being able to use WASD on a computer. Mm -hmm. It's fucking the most archaic bullshit. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. So I really like Divinity Original Sin 2, but I really hate the movement, which kind of brings me to the uh, another one that I was just played a couple hours of last night well not even a couple hours like 45 minutes elder scrolls blades because they did this mm. early access thing where i totally forgot i got into that early access like yeah. yesterday or the day before but i haven't checked it out yet yeah so it's now available for everybody free and early yeah. access um that is also click to move right, right. it's tap to move and that, like, makes me not want to play it because it's a really bad way to navigate those environments. Like, there mm -hmm. are so many examples of games that just have, like, the false uh, analog sticks in the bottom right and left of the screen. Like, why can't I just fucking do that? I don't know. It's yeah, really I think bad. probably the, the issue with that is, like, because it's taking up so much of your phone and they want to showcase so much of it visually that adding like additional sidebars or like that takes away from the immersive experience. I'm sure like that was the reasoning. It doesn't make it good, but I'm sure that's why they did it that way. I guess, but like there are plenty of games where like the, the opacity on those is very high. And so you can see through them. Like they're like just kind of like little ghost sure. circles. So they don't really yeah. block anything. You can make it really sleek and it's gotta be easy to do, but Whatever. So I honestly probably won't play any more of that game until they add that because I just can't play it like that. I hate it so much. Um, I played some Stardew Valley online co-op with my wife and another friend. Um, downloaded some more mods and played some more Fallout 4 in a new world. Nice. Uh, Are you still in the same one that you've been playing for a while? No, I started a you new started one. You started another one? <laughs> Um, I tried... What, what kind of mods you got? Uh, I don't know. It's just like the same shit I always have. Like, War of the Commonwealth, the Fallout 4 fix stuff, extra crafting opportunities, like, cra like or like, build anywhere, like, no build right. limit, all that kind of stuff. Like, some extra quest mods or whatever. Um... So why, why start a new game? world, then? Just to fuck or a around. a new game. Okay. I just I wanted a fresh install because yeah. my thing was getting kind of messy. Um, I tried Enderall, which is that huge Skyrim mod that's like basically a different game. Yes. Um, I have some issues with like how it's structured. Like, there's no fast travel except for 
like within cities you can use signposts to fast travel to different parts of cities um are the cities that big where that's necessary uh the one that i got to is definitely it's very very large and there's like this whole bigger than city to it that's like it's bigger than like like, the vanilla cities are oh yeah um okay yeah, this is like many, many areas large, and then there's a whole undercity that's also many areas large. Um, and it, like everything in that game is like, it, everything looks great, and you can tell a lot of care and attention went into it. The writing has been middle of the road, like hit and miss. Um, I also think like the difficulty doesn't scale properly in a lot of different hmm. ways, and like the magic system is annoying because as you use magic, you're building up this arcane fever. If your arcane fever gets too high, you die, and you have to like use items. There are only certain items you can use to decrease your arcane fever. Um, and I think as part of the main story, there's a way to cure yourself of that, but it seems like it's going to be a long ways off. It's like it's really hard. I feel like I'm never powerful enough and like they make changes to core systems that I'm just not used to. And like the writing isn't good enough to justify me continuing to play it. And like the lack of fast travel in the over map, like the overworld map, that's just like, that's enough to have me like, look, no, I can't Hmm. with that right now. Um, So how, like how new is it? Like, is it, all new textures and stuff or is it primarily using stuff from skyrim just to create a new world um like does it look like skyrim or is it totally new stylistically yes and like you can tell like they're using some of the same terrain and tree and rock textures and stuff but like a lot of the plants are different um and like i think they just use some of the texture meshes to create new objects um so like like you might recognize the this same wood. It's the same type of wood that's used on planks in the normal game, but like they made entirely new like object meshes for planks. Like they the planks look different, but it's the same texture stretched over them. You know what I mean? Um, and it doesn't look bad. It all looks good. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Well, so it, it looks like it could take place in the same universe uh-huh. in the same world. And the, it, it is everything is kind of made to a similar style as uh, Skyrim, so it looks like it belongs, but it doesn't look like recycled assets. Yeah, um, yeah okay. there's enough. There's a lot of new stuff, and just like they, I think also part of the problem is Skyrim had a good level of like scrub on the ground, um, to where it's not hard to like see things on the ground. Like, they mm-hmm. had it sparsely dotted enough that, like, you could find the plants pretty easily. And, like, it right. wasn't hard to navigate the terrain. This is very much like, hey, we want you to follow the roads. And, like, they Got really it. pack the wilderness areas full of, like, plants and stuff, which looks nice. But, like, you hunt down a creature and you kill it and then you can't find the body. Because, like, there's grass and bushes everywhere and you can't see well. Okay. okay. Um, so it's, like, that kind of problem, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like difficulty is ridiculous, like off, like right out of the bat, uh, off the bat, out of the gate, um, like fighting wolves, like two wolves will kill you and Hmm. and you're just like taking damage like crazy. It's kind of absurd. Is there something you can do to try to like level up more? Are you gaining experience the same way you do in Skyrim through like just using skills or? Yeah. Well, no. So, um, it's you 
so you're, you're gaining XP. So there, it's okay. an XP leveling system now. So by killing stuff, discovering new areas, completing quests, you get XP. And when you level up, you use what is the equivalent of like a shout skill, um, mm -hmm. like you would in Skyrim, but it teleports you to like this. It, it's it's like how from the menu in Skyrim you would like look up to the stars and pick your skills out of constellations. It like mm -hmm. teleports you to this like astral plane looking place with these stones. And like that's cool, but you don't get enough like you don't get all like the information, like the text breakdown on a lot of stuff. Like you have to like like there's all these tiny little notches in the stone that you have to like seek out and find and, and click on and then it expands and kind of gives you a description. Like it's just not easy to like navigate along the, the stones and stuff. Um, okay. It's like it looks cool, but it's it's form over function, unfortunately. Right. And that's something that you interact with a lot. So you're getting, like, buffs and new skills and stuff from that, but you also are, like, using books to, like, increase the levels of certain skills as well. Okay. But you can only... So, like, when you level up, you get a knowledge point or a couple knowledge points, and you can... Every time you read a book to increase a skill, it takes a knowledge point. So... If you level up a couple of times, you can read several more books and increase some skills, but it's going to kind of cap out. Like, you can't then – you don't have any more knowledge points left. Got and it. And I think, like, certain quests will also give you knowledge points for completing them and other other stuff like that, too, I think. Um, but they, they gate it that way. And, like, only cer certain books will only bring you up to, like, level 25 in a skill, and then you have to get better versions of those books to, like, continue – um, and I think, like, the economy isn't broken, but it definitely feels stacked against the player in a bad way. Um, yeah. Just because stuff's spent, expensive? Yeah, yeah. And I, I spent probably, I probably played for, like, nine hours. So I spent hmm. a good amount of time in it. But Not going to go back? I don't think so. Um, Sounds like... It, there's a lot of cool stuff and like cool designy things, but it seems like at the end of the day, it's clearly an amateur project. Like a lot yeah. of the, a lot of the, what would be done in like fixed in game testing or just through like experienced game developers right. about here's how a UI should work. Here's how interacting with this is, should be easier for the player. A lot of that stuff is not tuned correctly. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they definitely wanted to create a more difficult experience and they definitely sure. did that, but that doesn't, it's not like a fun difficulty. It just right. feel it feels like you're very underpowered. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's weird because Skyrim is such a power fantasy that mm -hmm. it feels at odds with the setting it's in. Because uh, like I'm like, hey, there are these enemies that are similar to the ones in Skyrim. I should be able to like kill them each with a swipe of my warhammer, and I I like hit them, and it does like ten percent of their health, and they hit mm -hmm. me, and it does like thirty percent of my health, and I'm like, this is fucked. This sucks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, if you're looking bad. for a challenging experience, Elder Scrolls mod Enderall. It's actually on Steam. I, I have a page for it. The hype was crazy high for that. So that's that's kind of a bummer that it didn't quite turn out. Um, it just seems like it needed more testing, maybe. more A little more, more time to bake. Some yeah. better outside eyes or QA or something. Maybe. I also heard that some of the... Um, like end game questing like end of the campaign questing stuff isn't written all that well or it kind of goes in a weird direction hmm. um so i don't know can't speak to that though personally um, so i mean yeah so anything else that you've been playing 
Yeah, I was gonna say so. Like you, it sounds like you're playing a lot of older stuff just like for fun, and that's kind of where I've been too. Yeah. After finishing Kingdom Hearts, like I don't really have my next game. I mean, I want to play Metro, and I probably will start that in the next week or so. But just I wasn't super down for that right now. Um, and like I don't have, I can't sit down for four hours and get really immersed in the beginning of a game, which is typically what I like to do. So instead, like right. I went ahead and played. Um, Spyro Year of the Dragon, which I hadn't done yet in the the reignited, reignited trilogy. I hadn't played the third game. So I went ahead and just played through all of that, beat it in a couple sittings. Um, it, it's, it's funny because as I listened through the soundtracks for my Game of the Year post, because I did like a best music category, I had listened through a bunch of the tracks from Year of the Dragon without having played the game yet. And then, so as I'm playing through the game, like things feel very familiar because of the music I recognize. It was just like a weird, like I haven't played this before, but it feels familiar because I recognize the music as well as like when you listen to the music, I made assumptions about the kind of world where it would take place in. And it was very rarely correct. Like there was this weird (laughs) dichotomy between like, oh, you're on this frozen ice planet but the music is very like tribal and jungle themed or like, huh. oh, you're flying through the sky and there's like really like dark, heavy metal kind of uh, uh, themes and stuff in the music. And so those things like not that they didn't go together in a bad way, but it's just it's not what I envisioned in my head as I was listening to it. So it was just a, a, an interesting thing. Um, yeah. I feel like the third game is a good combination of the first and second games. Cause the first game was so simple and straightforward where you're just rescuing dragons. Like that's it. And then the second game got a lot more complicated with some light Metroidvania elements where like you're getting powers, which you go back and revisit worlds. You're collecting these, a couple of different types of things. Um, Cause you need all the gems, but you also need to get these like glowing orbs in order to unlock worlds, that sort of thing. Uh, and then the third game, you're primarily just rescuing baby dragons. So it kind of harkens back to the first game, but it still has those other things layered on top where you're unlocking more skills. You're doing a bunch of different kinds of side activities that are like one-off challenges in order to get a dragon egg. Like how in the second game, there was like a level where you have you play a hockey game. And there's, there's that kind of stuff in the third, where in the, the first game, there was none of that. It was just like a level, you explore it, you find the dragons and then eventually you fight a boss and that's the end. It was very straightforward. This is much more complicated than that. Uh, they also introduce other characters that you play as, which I do did not remember from originally playing through the game. So there's a yeah, kangaroo character who can like jump super high and then she kicks and she can bounce on people's heads. And for the first new character, she made sense because she was like close in controls to Spyro. Obviously she can't run and rush. She can't glide the way that he does, but she has like a big jump. She has a, a kick, which is the same as the bash. So it felt f- sort of familiar. But then from there, like you unlock a bird who can fly and like soar and kind of like um, float in the air. And he controlling him was real bad just because the, the camera is already not ideal because it's very outdated camera style, but trying to, get the right um, Y axes and line up because he shoots rockets. So trying to line up the Y axes to an enemy, shoot a rocket, which doesn't shoot straight. It kind of like shoots around randomly and get the camera in a right way because there's no lock on. So like you need to be perfectly behind him at the right level as the enemy and shoot. It's, it felt very unintuitive. So he was not fun at all to use 
there is a giant yeti goat man who he's fine he's very slow and he just has like a big ice club and he just beats the shit out of things so he was pretty straightforward and then there's a monkey who is a spaceman and he has a laser gun that he shoots and he sure. also was terrible to control because there's no lock on and you're using the right stick and the left stick to aim the like reticle of where he shoots and it's just super again super unintuitive so those were not those two where they were more different mechanically than Spyro were very unsuccessful but the other two the kangaroo and the yeti like they were perfectly fine it's it the larger thing is like you play in like three or four levels for each of these guys where you're playing as them so it's like intent intended as hey here's a bit of a different thing than just playing as Spyro the whole time but right. they weren't really that much fun like I would have rather just been Spyro so uh yeah and then there are skateboarding sections because, of course, yep, skateboarding with Spyro. And they're super bad. Like, you're trying to do tricks and shit in order that to get Dragon bad. Eggs. And it's it's awful. It's just not interesting. It's like the most simplified Tony Hawk controls you could possibly imagine. And so it's just not fun. Like, you don't have a bunch of options of tricks. You just, you go off a ramp, you press a button, and then you move the left stick to, like, do a somersault or flip forward and back. Like, that's all you can do. And it's just, like, not, it's just not fun. Uh, and then there are a bunch of underwater levels. And guess what? Those are terrible. <laughs> there are way more underwater levels than even in the second game. And they suck ass. Um, the flying levels are still there. Where you have like the timed flying thing where you have to get a bunch of whatevers. And then they also add a race for each one of those. And the races are fairly challenging. Like you have to get the perfect line at the right time in order to get first. But the time attack one... They're really I I beat each one of those on my first try, and so okay. they're just super easy. And so like those are not fun. Like if you they weren't fun originally, but at least there was the challenge, right? And in this, they're easy and not fun. <laughs> it's like what's the point of them <laughs> at all? Um, so I don't know. It sounds like I'm being negative. I still look back on the first game, having played through all three now. I still think the first one is the best one, but I would put the third game above the second just because it went back to its roots just a little bit. And even though not all of the new side activities are fun, there is a lot more kinds of things to do than in the second game. Uh, okay. It's not hard. It's not a hard game. In the second game and in the first, there were at least a couple bosses that took me a few tries. Uh, just because it's like old school game mechanics where sometimes you just get screwed. But in this right. one, I don't think I died more than a couple of times. And I beat the final boss while holding my daughter on my first try so that should tell you that's pretty Jeez. easy and i'm like holding her in one arm with my ps4 controller and was able to do it on the first try so yeah that's uh spire year of the dragon um i started call of duty 4 modern warfare remastered just as like a fun let me waste some time playing through the single player yeah. i got a couple hours in and i just don't think it holds up very well um, it because it's an older first-person shooter in the Call of Duty series, enemies respawn infinitely. It's that whole thing where, like, until you advance, they just keep respawning. And that just yeah. isn't fun to me. Um, grenades are so unbelievably overpowered when they're used against you. Like, you just die so easily with the grenade that you didn't see coming because they threw it, and there's no grenade indicator because you're not close to it. And then you're just running forward, and then you die. Because you just happen to be there at the wrong time. Same with exploding right. cars. Like, it's just... 
a lot of really easy ways to die. The kick that happens when you get shot is just unbelievably hardcore. Like, if you're trying to line up any long-distance shot while you're getting shot at, good fucking luck. It's impossible to line up sniper shots or long long distance ACOG scope shots just because you're you're you you're you know it feels like you're like you get shot and you go literally straight up in the air and so you're having to reset every time and it's yeah. quite tedious. Uh, I got to the point where I was getting a little frustrated having died a couple times in a row to grenades and car explosions and stuff. And then um, as I loaded it up again, the game crashed. Like it crashed to the PlayStation cross media bar. Nice. And then when I loaded it back up, I was at the beginning of the mission, so I had lost like forty minutes. So I just quit. I, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not really having fun, and I'm not going to continue playing it. So that was a big disappointment because like I was looking forward to replaying that just for the stupid bombast of it, but it yeah. just doesn't hold up very well. Um, and so then, I did beat that yeah. when I played. Oh, okay. it. I did play all the way through it. Yeah. Um, I did you not? Did you not have this similar experience? Um. It was definitely dated, and I think I had a lot of, like, bullshit deaths that were really frustrating. And, like, I do recall the infinite respawning enemies thing being very annoying, but, like, once you kind of... You kind of fall back into those old habits of, like, you kill a couple dudes, and then you rush forward to the next cover, hoping to trigger the end of their respawns. Right. Which, like, I mean, it's not fun, but... I don't know. I felt like I kind of fell back into my old... My old cod ways... For and sure. managed to get through it. I didn't play it on like whatever veteran or whatever difficulty it is, but it was it was an okay time. Yeah, and and that's all I was looking for. I just the gameplay was not what I remembered it being. Um, so the biggest thing I've been playing, which makes sense because I'm watching my child, is Pokemon Let's Go because I can play it in handheld right. mode on my Switch, and it's totally perfect for that. If I'm holding her, if she's on her little boppy pillow thing where I can, you know, she's right next to me and I can keep my eye on her, you know, as in between feedings, etc. As you know, as Kelly's changing her, and I can play for ten minutes. So that's been the biggest thing I've been playing. I am now on Cinnabar Island. I was able to get through and catch Articuno on Seafoam Islands because the, like, waterfall HM doesn't exist, so you can get to it a lot easier. And then I went to the um, power plant and got Zapdos as well. Both of them were unbelievably tedious to catch uh, because you, in order to fight, or in order to catch these, like, the legendary guys, you fight them, and then that gives you the ability to catch them. And the catching is obviously the same as it is in the Pokemon Go stuff and in the rest of the game where you're just hucking balls and crossing your fingers because there's no tactics to it. So even with using probably 12 to 18 berries to like make Articuno move less or make it easier to catch, it took me over 50 Ultra Balls to catch Articuno. Whoa. Yes. It was not fun at all, but I did it eventually. And then Zapdos I actually just caught this morning, and he probably took 30 to 40-ish Ultra Balls with the same tactic. So it's just like, it's, you know, it's the same old record, but it's just not fun. Like, it's not fun at all to catch Pokemon in this way. And when you have to throw 50 Ultra Balls, and like, I'm doing it right. I, every single time I was inside the gray circle, and like, getting it inside the moving circle doesn't have any impact on how your your ability to catch it only gives you more experience if you get an excellent or a great or not the only thing that affects whether or not you catch it is if you get it in the gray circle and so every time i got it in the gray circle and it was just like 
Like, I would have ones where I would throw a berry that makes it easier to catch. I would throw a berry that makes it not move as much. I'd be using an Ultra Ball. It's orange and not... Well, actually, that's not true. With They're red no matter what, even with Ultra Balls, these guys are. So it's still red, but it's not moving. The circles are going really slow. I get an excellent throw, and then it pops out after one bobble. It's just right. like... Like, there's nothing you can do. It's not fun. But I was able to get both of those, and now the only one I have yet is Moltres, once I get to Victory Road, the last tedious one. And then eventually when I get to Mewtwo, I could just use my Master Ball. So that should make right. it uh, at least that I won't have to deal with. But So, yeah, that wasn't fun. But, um, yeah, now I'm on Cinnabar Island, and I am getting ready to fight Blaine because I've done everything else on the island. My guys are, like, just shy of level 60, I think, which is, like, super high. Yeah. Like, that's... Guys aren't even level 60 a lot when you fight the Elite Four in the original games, but everybody is much higher level now. Like, random Pokemon that I can catch are mid-40s. Like, wow. a Voltorb in the mansion was, like, level 44. So it's like... Huh. And even when you're fighting guys, they're high 40s. And because the... Like, the tactics of trainers are m- much better than in the classic games. Like, they will use moves that your Pokemon are weak against. If you go up against a Magmar with your Graveler, and he won't use Flamethrower on you. He'll use Karate Chop because your guy's weak to that. So it's it's the AI is much smarter, which just makes the game much more difficult. Uh, but, I, I mean, as, as a game that I am playing in 30-minute chunks... I'm having a good time with it. I haven't okay. had to um, grind out catching Pokemon in a while because I found the perfect place and way to do it. I got a bunch of guys who I was trying to level up to make them evolve to like expand my Pokedex. They were all like level 22-ish. Uh, and including I had caught a bunch of Drowsy so I could get a... like amazing stat drowsy to level up to hypno which i have now i leveled them up from like level 22 23 up to level 40 in like two hours of grinding by only catching drowsy at this one point and i caught 130 drowsy in a row with so like starting out because they're like level 15 so this was pretty early on in the game and so the average drowsy that you get with an excellent throw which is very easy to get because the um the range on the drowsy is very large they don't move back and forth so it's just really it's much easier to catch them uh but you can catch them with a great ball pretty easily from the get-go and then once you get to like 50 it becomes much easier to catch each pokemon so you can use a pokeball and you'll catch them on the first try every time okay just because the more you catch the easier it is to catch each one of them uh and uh, i figured out that if you um, if the Pokemon runs away, it resets your chain. But if you flee, then it doesn't reset your chain. So right. if you're trying to build up a chain early on, if you if you miss on a throw three times, run away. Because that's about the time where it, the Pokemon might flee. So I would just run away if I miss on three throws and I keep my chain. I can just get the next drowsy that comes. And then the more that you catch in the chain, the more frequently the large and tiny ones will spawn, which gives you even more XP. I had times where, you know, multiple different times where I would get like 2,000 plus XP on one drowsy just because of all the bonuses. Like a first catch bonus, an excellent throw bonus, you know, a 60 to 8, eight times multiplayer or uh, 
um, multiplier bonus. So you can level up pretty quickly if you're doing that. And these are from like level 15, 16, 17, 18 drowsy. So they were really right. easy to catch. Uh, again, this was not fun to do. I just watched YouTube videos while I did it, but I was able to get all those low level guys leveled up to level 40 and get them evolved. Uh, I think I had like my rye horn that I got evolved to ride on. Um, I had, um, I got him a choke from that Kadabra from that. So I got a guys, not guys that I'm using, but there's that like, I wanted to expand my Pokedex. So right. I'm still rocking my Eevee who is super overpowered. Um, I have Hypno now. I have Charizard and Blastoise, Graveler, and I'm forgetting one, right? Oh, Raichu. And I want to go back and catch another Pikachu because there's a guy you can trade. You can trade a Raichu for a, an Alolan Raichu, which is the, like, fairy version of Raichu, I think. Okay. So I want to do that just to see, but the only place that I know to catch Pikachu is way back in Viridian Forest, and so I don't want to, like, catch a level 6 Pikachu and then turn him into a Raichu, and then trade for like a level six Alolan Raichu when my my current Raichu is awesome and he's level fifty eight. Right. So I don't think I'm gonna go through and do that, but we'll see. It is nice because you can typically catch the second evolutions in the wild. So like if you go to the mansion on Cinnabar Island, you can catch, or I guess in the um wherever I caught Zapdos, the power plant. You can catch Voltorb, but you can also catch Electrode. You can catch Magnemites, but you can also catch Magnetons. You can catch a Weezing or a, a Coffee, but you can also catch Weezing. Like, you're not having to level guys up and make them evolve, because you can usually also catch the higher evolution. And that's even true of, like, Ninetales and Rapidash. So, in, okay. like, the whole, like, I want to fill out my Pokedex is a lot easier to do than it was in the original game. But the catching is not <laughs> fun. Right. You just have to commit. So... Yeah, um, and then the last thing that we both have been playing, we started some Borderlands Game of the Year edition. Yeah, playing some co-op. Uh, we've only we we played for probably two hours, and that's kind of it. So we're still very early. Obviously, I'm yeah. playing the uh, Siren, and she isn't what I remember her being. Like her power of like going invisible isn't as interesting as I was hoping. And then you're playing the sniper dude with the yeah the hunter. Yeah, with the that bird is still eagle? real good. Yeah, Bloodwing, Bloodwing. That's right. So, I mean, it's it's fun as a not like a time waster. That sounds derogatory, but like something where we can just play and hang out, and it's pretty like brainless. It's yeah. working well for that. It's not holding up super well to me. I don't know if you agree or not. Just like the movement speed feels really slow. Yeah, the humor obviously isn't hitting as hard as it did back in you know whenever right. that game came out. It feels a little juvenile now. Um, but I don't know. It's still it's been a perfectly fine experience thus far. The game, it's not running awesome, at least on my end. Like I'm getting yeah. some graphical hitches and stuff. Like it feels like it's missing frames. It's kind of uh, choppy in that way. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. I think, so the problem with the Hunter, and I had forgotten this, is that the early game sniper rifles suck butts. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. they don't do that much damage, and just the fire rate is like, it's like one shot every, like, two and a half seconds. Yeah. It's like, it's like, shoot. ka <laughs> Shoot. Right. And that's really, really bad. But I just 
before we stopped playing, I got a really nice semi-auto sniper rifle that I'm I can lay into some dudes. It's a good Hell time. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll I'm sure we'll continue to play that casually yeah. just for funsies. But uh, it is fun to revisit. I still think Borderlands Two is a much better game, which I know a lot of people like the first game more primarily because of the main characters they like them more i just think the gameplay and the worlds are much more interesting and diverse uh in the second game but yeah um, when i think of the second game i always think of that youtube let's play that you cody and i did Um, that only lasted like eight episodes because you guys bailed yeah but it had such a good intro (laughs) that's true it was really good it was like uh Gunzerkin time, bitch! <laughs> and like the the Drunk ninety two as this yeah. Mighty Manator as oh that was good. It's a really good it was intro. Very good. Check out the Drum Kid ninety two on YouTube. Are uh, those you, videos still live? Uh, they are all private. Okay, well there so you go. Don't go check it out. <laughs> I can. Did you make them private? Why did you make them private? Um, a couple of my students had found it. Oh uh, right. Uh, and so I was like, well, you know, um. I don't want to be, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be, oh God, um, crap, I can't think of his name now. Um, oh my, I'm losing my mind. I don't want to be the next James Gunn. Um, gotcha. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, or they dig shit into that I said like eight years ago. Yeah, I should ago. probably do that too. Some I, really... I occasionally will watch like our old series just for fun as I'm doing like as I'm playing Pokemon Let's Go for example I'm watch I watched a couple episodes of our War in the North <laughs> co-op yeah. pro-op that we did and I watched our Dead Space three one like last year at some point when I was doing something but I will speaking watch of them good intros that War in the yes. North intro is really good yeah yeah na 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 oh it's good fun stuff. stuff. Well, all right. So that's everything we've been playing. We're already an hour in. Um, this is going exactly how I expected it to go. So I'll yeah. say, uh, before I jump it over to you, I did watch two movies, 2018 movies, in fact. I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah, I heard good stuff about it. It was awesome. Just the visual style is so cool and unique. Uh, it has, I mean, because it's more about Miles um, than Peter Parker, and it's obviously multiple different Spider characters. I don't want to say Spider-Man characters because they most of them aren't Spider-Man. But, um, yeah, because it focuses on Miles, it has a little bit more of like, because, you know, he has more of like a hip-hop vibe, and so there's a lot of hip-hop music throughout. And it just creates this really, like, uh, young-feeling New York City vibe that I really appreciated. Super colorful. Uh, all the performances by the different Spider characters are really great. Um, Nick Cage plays the uh, Spider-Man Noir character, and he's brilliant <laughs> as it. Okay. Uh, and then you have the like anime Spider Girl, who I don't remember what her actual name is, but Spider Pig is in it. Um, with uh, John Mulaney plays him, and he does a brilliant job. So it's just it's it's a really cool um, sort of you know it's like a coming of age sort of story, but it mirrors the actual Peter Parker's uh, story a lot in Miles' story, just with an, with the uncle and all, all that kind of stuff. So uh, really, really highly recommend it if you, ha- if you haven't seen it. But um, So where does it was awesome. fall in like the greater Spider-Man canon? Is it just its uh, own thing? Well, Miles is a character. So he's like, he was the Spider-Man in Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Right. Miles is the, he was the black Spider-Man, right? Yes. Yes. So it, it's just his story. And I mean, 
the way that the comic book characters work, like each one is kind of its own universe, right? So this is just its own universe. It still has okay. like he fights a lot of the Sinister Six characters, but they're reimaginings of it. So like Doc Ock is in it, but she's er, it's a she, and she's a scientist. Like she's like a kooky cat lady. She's very like Emma Thompson as Professor Trelawney in Harry Potter. That's kind of like her vibe in this. Okay. Um, and then Scorpion is in it, but I, I think he's Hispanic. Maybe I'm trying to remember the accent, but he's like all tattooed up and like very mechanical. Like it looks almost like a like a stop motion villain kind of mechanical look to him. Kind of hard to explain, but yeah, it's 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 familiar characters, but sort of reimagined in this um, visual style. Okay, but it's super good. Kingpin is kind of because he's the bad guy, and he's kind of a more sympathetic character because he's like his wife and child die. And so he's trying to tap into parallel universes to bring an, a different version of his wife and child into his world. And that's how the other spider characters get sucked in. And they are trying to stop Kingpin because it's destroying the fabric of reality, blah, blah, blah. So it's just a really fun, fun time. Uh, it's an awesome movie. Okay. And I also saw Bad Times at the El Royale, which is like a murder mystery kind of movie with a sense of humor to it. Uh, it all takes place at this hotel called the El Royale. It's a bunch of bunch of characters that come from random places that are just all kind of like in the same place when bad shit happens, and it has a very like mysterious feel to it immediately as you're like trying to figure out how are these characters are going to tie into each other. Are they all really who they say they are, and the vast majority of them are not? And then there's like um, some bad shit happens, and it's like, oh, who did this? Whatever. And that is all really cool in, like, the first half of the movie. And then they kind of go away from that once they bring in um, Chris Hemsworth's character, who is, like, the bad guy. And he just sucks. He's just a bad actor, and his character is not interesting or consistent. So then it becomes more about his character affecting these other characters. And a lot of the interesting characters that they had set up in the beginning have died. (laughs) So, like... the first half of the movie was much better than the second half. Uh, it lost right. the lost the plot a little bit as it went on. Uh, and then there's like this big emotional turn at the end, which kind of really came out of nowhere. But it was surprisingly effective, uh, like right before the actual conclusion of it. So I don't know. It's like started off really strong with the mystery, didn't really execute on the mystery well, and introduced another problem that was unsuccessful. But then the actual ending of it was satisfying. So it's a, it's a roller coaster of a movie, but it, it uh, has a cool sense of humor. A lot of it's very interesting visually and stylistically. So for people that are into that sort of thing, check it out. Okay. What have you been watching? Um, so no movies really, um, but did watch a few shows. Mm-hmm. So I started and finished season three of The Magicians, which is a right. horrible trash show. Um, right. I hate it, but I watch it. So I watched <laughs> that, and guess what? It's your I guilty hated pleasure. It. Yeah. Um. There are some attractive people on that show. <laughs> That's uh, why you watch. Yeah, I started in the wife and I started and finished Queer Eye season three. Yes, we also watched all of season three, which shocker quite good. was very good. Yes, on just what it's just an amazing show. One of the best shows I've ever seen. So it's so important and it's awesome. Yep, everybody needs to watch it. Yep. Uh, and then the wife and I started and finished Umbrella Academy. Okay, yes. How is that? Uh, the first half of it is good. There are a couple uh-huh. of characters that grade on you. But over the course of the show, over the course of the season, 
they kind of bring those characters around and like do things to them and have them do things that kind of redeem them and like give you a greater understanding for why they are the way they are. Um, all of that was really good. And then they took one character and so there isn't really like a clear villain throughout like the whole first, most of the season, there isn't really a clear villain. It's just like, Hey, the end of the world's going to be happening. We should prevent it. Uh, and like, there's no, like, they have no idea how it's supposed to happen or what, like that's the big mystery is why does the world end? Mm. Um, and their answer to that is supremely stupid. Um, I, I think it, it could have been interesting had they done it right, but they just execute on it. So fucking miserably poorly. Well, it is based Um, on a comic book. So yeah, there's going to be an element of lameness (laughs) or cheesiness to it. Yeah. Well, and it's just like, it just it didn't feel justified, like because mm. there there's a big emotional personal turn that has to happen for the events to unfold the way they are purporting them to, and they do not justify that turn anywhere near effectively enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so the wife and I like the last two episodes we were both just like this is so fucking stupid, um, and actually the way it ends is okay i'm interested to see what they do with how they ended it um there's a lot of time travel in that show i'll say that okay <laughs> but is it i mean and they, they have pretty, fun I've with heard... it they have fun with right. the time travel like there's like an organization behind monitoring the time travel and the space-time continuum and all this stuff and like that is all very fun and like i like the vibe that they're going for there um mm-hmm. But, like, there's this big kind of heel turn, to use a wrestling f- phrase. And it's Heel turn good. has been around since before wrestling. <laughs> what? Wrestling did not create the term heel turn. Heel turn is like, that's like an old, old thing from, like, silent films. All right, well, popularized by wrestling. <laughs> if anything, if something has been popularized by wrestling, that's not great. <laughs> um well it wasn't great here so there you go <laughs> uh but yeah that's that's what i watched how about you uh yeah so we watched a lot of stuff as i mentioned just it's much easier to do when you have a, a, a newborn child right um so we actually have watched a lot of the office because kelly wanted the office to be playing during labor so once we got checked into the labor and delivery room we started season two, episode one of The Office. My daughter was born during Benihana Christmas, <laughs> halfway through season three. So to put it in perspective, her labor lasted a season and a half of The Office. <laughs> About 12 hours, in fact. Uh, so that was awesome. And then we watched all the way through, like, I think the end of season five while we were at the hospital. Because we had it playing almost nonstop, like day and night, just because it, like gave us that comfort uh, of, you know, when we're be- feeling completely overwhelmed with this new child and everything that's going on, and especially my wife, like everything that she went through physically and emotionally during the birthing process, that was kind of like the safety blanket. But uh, that was awesome. Having that w- was awesome. And then um, we have been watching a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for a similar reason. It's like, basically, I will play an episode every time I feed her. That's kind of like when I'm sitting there feeding her, that's what I'm watching. 
and so I'm almost caught up again. Um, I think we're in like season 10 or 11. And I have a ranking of all the seasons of It's Always Sunny and of the top 10 episodes of It's Always Sunny on ChaseEverything.com. And I was just looking at those again, kind of refreshing my memory as I was watching the show. And I don't think many people would argue that the more recent seasons are as strong as the early seasons. That's typically how comedy shows go. It just is the reality of it. Because they get a little bit more desperate in um, fantastical ideas and storylines and situations and scenarios and, like, uh, places to go. And so it doesn't... It loses a little bit of the core of the show. But that said, it still is really cool in the later seasons to see them take on a lot more creative ideas for episodes. Like, there's an episode called Charlie Work, which is primarily shot... As if it's a oneer, like one take the entire episode. They right. they they cut in and out. There are several moments where you can kind of tell where like oh a door closes and that's where they cut and then they open it again and that's where they come back in. But it feels like it's a long one shot and that's just a cool idea. Um, episode like the gang tries desperately to win an award is a meta commentary on how like they were. It's always sunny has been nominated for three Emmys. All three Emmys have been for stunt coordination in a comedy series, and they haven't won. <laughs> so, like, that episode is about, like, we haven't been nominated for an award, and so the whole episode is they go to a bar that wins a bunch of awards, and it's very cheesy, bright colors. The bartenders, like, there's a will-they-won't-they they happening between the bartenders, and so <laughs> they try to replicate it at their own bar and, like, have the witty banter between Mac and D. but instead he's like, I'll choke you, bitch! I'll fucking kill you! <laughs> right. Like, so just, like, that, that meta-commentary on stuff. That's pretty and then good. one of my, my favorite episodes, which is late on, is Mac and Dennis move to the suburbs. Which is a combination yeah. of like marital strife and paranormal activity movies. So it's like <laughs> right? this weird combo of like marriage and horror movies that's just so hilarious and fascinating. <laughs> so, despite a lot of the episodes not being as funny, like straight up funny as the earlier seasons, there are a lot of really creative ideas behind the episode so that I, I still really appreciate on that show and like i do not envision them running out of those ideas i mean there was an episode of the most recent season or season 10 or 11 the gang goes to the water park and that's the episode like they're at a water park so that's like that's not some kooky cinematography trick or like crazy commentary on society like that's just uh yep that's a dumb, just a dumb thing that they yep. go to the water park. So there are still those episodes in there too. Yeah, so it's just a really it's just, good. It's a the good characters balance. are now in a different place, and here's how they are in that place. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I could see this show going twenty seasons. You know, like I just don't see them running out of just dumb ideas. I don't think it's ever going to hit the highs that it did early on in its run. But I still really appreciate watching it, and I, I get a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, I finished the Punisher, finally. I thought the ending was pretty satisfying. It was like open-ended in a way that you know it continues, but I don't need to see more of it, if that makes sense. And it's good because we're not going to see more of it. So that I appreciated. Um, Obviously, the whole thing with Madani and and Bobby, like that storyline was just never that interesting to me. And it was disappointing to see that like, that storyline with Jigsaw, Jigsaw slash Bobby and Madani mixed with the Russian religious dude murderer story. Those things, they never came together. No, they so didn't. So it felt, it felt kind of like, eh, you know, like it just wasn't that satisfying. Right. Um, 
So it was disappointing in the sense that like the first season of the Punisher I thought was really strong. It was like very clear on its story that it was it was building and really kind of benefited from that. I don't remember his name, but the the sidekick character in that season, the bearded dude that was hiding out, he was right. awesome. Uh, and obviously he isn't in this season to carry. And Madani was never interesting. Bobby was never interesting. Bobby, Billy, 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 Billy was never interesting. Um, the the young girl in this season certainly grows on you. Uh, but towards the like the back end of the season, she isn't as involved and as involved. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like again, just becomes like a they lost focus or something, or yeah, like they like threw they too many to ideas do, out there, like too many threads open. Um, yeah. Like. So it became more about like the Russian dude, or not, right? Yeah, like the preacher dude. It became former, more about him. The former, and so, like, it, yeah. it felt like they could never quite pack everything into the same episode, right? Um, right. Like address all the pr- thought, uh, plot threads. How did you? What was your reaction with that fucking stone cold at the end with Frank and Billy? Oh, it made sense. I mean, it was it was dark, but it made sense. Yeah, I was like. Thank God I cannot listen yes. to this guy say another word. And totally, apparently neither totally. could Frank. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it felt totally justified for the character. And again, yeah. like, he's not a good guy. No. Like, he does, he does, he does awful things for the right reason, but he's not a good person. Like, if you, no. if you're watching the show thinking that he's going to turn him in or, like, they're going to be some sort of resolution other than straight up murder to his head. Like, you don't understand the character yeah. yet. I just love that he was, like, in the middle of a sentence. He's yeah. just like, Frank, I just, you know, you, you just got to bang. <laughs> and, Frank's just, and he just, like, d- he just does, does, his, does his sniff, yep. put the gun away, walk away. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely a dark Dang. character. Um, so it has made me think, obviously, because I love ranking things. Like, it makes me want to, like, ranking all of the Marvel shows would be too easy because there aren't that many and it's so obvious that daredevil is a million times better than any of the others yeah but instead like how would i rank each season of each show because that i think would be a much more interesting conversation yeah like oh is the second season of punisher better than the second season of daredevil which was the worst season of daredevil even though it was still good that kind of conversation but then in order to do that i would need to watch season two of luke cage I would need to watch season two of Iron Fist. I would need to finish season two of Jessica Jones. And then I would need to watch season three of Jessica Jones when it comes out. I don't want to do any of that. No. So I don't think I'm going <laughs> to go for that, which is a bummer because I would like to rank it. those. But it's not going to be worth it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. It sucks. Obviously, Jessica Jones season three is still coming out for people that like that show. All the crazy people that like that show. But Marvel Netflix is basically done. And it's, it's definitely a bummer. But... If you look at it, there were more bad shows than good ones. So you can't be too sad about it. Because, like, Daredevil was fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. Punisher was pretty good. And then Luke Cage sucked. Iron Fist sucked. The Defenders sucked. Jessica Jones really sucked. So it's like... Iron Fist had its moments. But they were too few and far between. I mean, and I heard the second season of Iron Fist was better than the first. It was. But for me, like, the only thing about Iron Fist season one that I enjoyed was Jessica Henwick. And that's mostly just because, like, I have a crush on her. <laughs> like, I don't, I didn't really find the storylines to be that interesting. And the yeah, fighting well, wasn't that interesting. They just, they don't present any of the characters as being sympathetic apart from the chick. Right. Like, because you're not really rooting for the Iron Fist because he's, he's like, kind, kind of, of douche. He's, well, he's like, he's a fucking idiot. 
right? Like he well, shows up and he's flat. an idiot, and then he becomes a douche. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, as much as it sucks to lose Daredevil and to lose, because I think whatever this dude is that plays Punisher, I think he's brilliant as for that character. I know you you aren't a big fan of that actor, but I right. think he does a great job with this character. So yeah. it'll be a bummer to lose those guys. But assuming Disney's going to reboot these in some way. That's kind of only good news for me at this point. Because the shows have been, by and large, so underwhelming, I'm not that sad to lose them. It's more the fear that we won't get anything. That That's that's the fear with them canceling the Netflix stuff. Yeah, well, and also, like, I just don't have faith in Disney to do much. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I, I want to say that I could hold out hope, but you're probably right. They just haven't really proven to be that strong with that stuff. Like, that makes me a little nervous about the Mandalorian show. Right. That um, what's his face is doing, um, what's that director's name? I don't remember the guy that directed Iron Man. It doesn't matter, but uh, with Pedro Pascal in it, like that right. that show should be awesome. But uh, yeah, looking at what's happened with Star Wars, the movies, it's hard to be too optimistic. Yeah, but this is a discussion for another day. Um, we have watched. Season 6 and 7 of Game of Thrones in anticipation of Season 8 premiering on the 14th. We are very hyped. I am a little bit more excited just to like for it to be over, which I know sounds like angsty and whatever negative. But like it's more that because the last three seasons have been worse than the first four seasons, like it's just on a downward trend. So I kind of just want it to end before it, before I like actually dislike the show. There's just a lot of really bad plotting and character motivation in the most recent season like it it is very plot focused show it is no longer a character focused show and that flies so far in the face of the core of that series that it kind of frustrates me a lot um because they just justify whatever they need to justify in order to make a plot thing happen and that's just really bad writing uh so i'm still hyped for it to like see how it all wraps up and see the big fight with the White Walkers, like who, if anyone, takes the Iron Throne, what's gonna happen with John and Danny once they find out that John is actually a Targaryen. Like there's just a lot of shit that still has yet to go down. Uh, and I, I'm holding out hope for a lot of characters that they don't die. Sir Davos is my favorite character on that show. Please, please don't kill Sir Davos. He's awesome. But uh re-watching the last two seasons, I tried to take the tack of like accepting it for what it is not being shay and like over analyzing it being like oh this thing was plotted out improperly oh how did he get from point a to z so quickly like there would have been more time that needed to take place like that kind of analyzation which i typically do on a show because i have high standards like that and just enjoy it for what it is like and just in, just look at okay okay this is average fan fiction game of thrones is now fan fiction I can enjoy it for being fan fiction. If I just don't have those same high standards, I will get more out of it. So I tried to watch it with that lens and I had more fun. I still had moments where Kelly had to be like, it's okay, Shay, like it's all right. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it is cool, especially to rewatch it and refresh my memory. Cause season seven, I had only seen the once like when it aired a year and a half ago. So to watch it and catch a lot of the little moments again and like, it gets my fear, my theory brain percolating of like, oh, how do I think this is going to all work out? So that'll be fun to do. 
and then I'm committing um, for the last two seasons. No, for the last three seasons, I've done reviews for each episode on jayitseverything.com. So I'm going to do that again for this final season to wrap it up. And that's where I do a lot of theorizing. And I actually went back and read some of my reviews as I was watching the show just to see, like, what did I think when it first aired? Yeah. Uh, and to read through a bunch of those theories, like obviously I, I missed on a bunch of them, but there were a couple that like I've totally fucking nailed. And that part of it like makes me feel real smart. And then I'll read one where I'm like, nope, not even close on that one. It's like kind of <laughs> balances it out, but it'll be fun to do that with this last season and then look back in a year and see like, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? So looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, okay. my, my wife's about to have surgery on Wednesday. And so she's going to okay. be like out of commission for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And she got, the Game of Thrones like box collection Blu-ray right. for Christmas, so she's gonna be watching that while she's uh, on the couch for a couple weeks. Yeah. So I assume I'll be coming home every night and she'll have some new bullshit, or I'll be in the middle of work <laughs> and she'll be texting me like, "I can't believe this fucking happened." Yeah. So th- she has not. How far? Ha- how how much of it has she seen? I don't know. I don't know actually. I mean, so, she's going to start over from the beginning because it's right, been too but long. Like, has she seen the first two seasons or five? Se- you don't. You don't know. I don't know. Like, how, I, I, mean, like I know how, she's she's read the first book. Okay, well, that's Maybe really only the first like season and a half, basically. Right. Um. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun for you for her to text you a bunch of stuff and you be all. It's just stupid. They killed. Yeah, I mean, my stupid. reaction each time is going to be like, "Yeah, it's a bad show. What do you want?" <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Um, not bad shows. Sons of Anarchy, which I've watched a bunch of times as well. But uh, it was Kelly and my anniversary on April 5th. Five-year anniversary, actually. And it's kind of hard to like do stuff when you have a two-week-old child on your five-year anniversary. Like You can't right. really take a trip or go out to dinner. So instead, we got uh, Olive Garden on Uber Eats. Nice. And we started Sons of Anarchy and watched a couple episodes of Fancy. Sons of Anarchy. So it was it was dinner a, I mean, and a show. It was awesome. It was a great anniversary. It was exactly the way that we would want to spend it uh, if given the choice and without societal expectations of what you're supposed to do. But uh, yeah, so we just we're like closing in on the end of season one. We just watch it every once in a while, uh, and it's awesome. Love that show, despite having seen it through a bunch of times. I was just like really in the mood to watch SOA again. Um, so yeah, it's cool. And then we have been trying to find some other stuff to watch. So we started American Vandal. Have you heard of that? It's on Netflix. Mm. It's like a mockumentary done in the style of Making a Murderer. But it's about a high school student who is on trial for like drawing a bunch of dicks on teachers' cars. But it's like it's done in the making a murderer thing where there's a bunch of like planted evidence, false testimony, etc. And he's like okay. maintaining innocence. So it's it's a it's a really funny idea. I don't think it's executed as well as it could be. I think we watched the first two episodes, maybe. Uh, the main guy, I think was is he's a former YouTube star or Vine star or something. I recognize him from something like that. And he's not awesome i think he might have created the show actually and and written the show he's just not that great of a an actor and the character i just don't really buy that much uh so yeah it just wasn't we weren't super into it um i may continue along and see if it gets better just because i think the idea is really strong but uh not a great first impression and then we watched a documentary series called the losers which is also a netflix original and it's just about famous losers and kind of their stories. 
And so there's like a famous soccer club that's always terrible. And this ice skater who always came in second place at the Olympics. And those are just really interesting stories to see like how these people continue to pursue their dreams despite repeat failure and like how it has affected them and impacted their lives later on. It's just really well done. It has a really interesting kind of like vibe to it where it's like kind of dark cartoon transitions and stuff. It's it's weird. It's hard to explain. Huh. But uh, yeah, I super recommend that. I think the episodes are like a half hour. So it's it's not a big commitment just to watch them. And each one's a different story. So we'll continue to watch that. And then we started a new crime docuseries called The Staircase, which is also a Netflix original. Uh, it is about a writer who was accused of murdering his wife. She allegedly fell down the stairs and bled out, like cracked open her head and bled out. And then he's tried for, oh, she didn't fall down the stairs. He beat her to death and she fell down the stairs. And there's just a bunch of stuff that happens that like comes out of like, oh, one of his friends or like 18 years earlier also died from falling down the stairs. Like that's, it's just a crazy coincidence kind of thing. And like, do you really buy that? It could be a coincidence. There's not really evidence, but like the DA is really going after him hard. So it's kind of like making a murderer in that sense of like, it feels like this guy's innocent and things just happen to pile up against him. And it's a really unfair way. But the difference with making a murderer, whereas making a murderer is more about like, like their whole thing is like the cops planted evidence. Like they are trying to frame this guy it's not that so much, but it's more about, like, the police and the DA misinterpreting evidence. And, like, one of the guys that is a DNA analyst on the um, the state's side, like, perjured himself and lied on the stand about how many cases he had done. He chose not to do a certain kind of test that he was supposed to do. And the thought was, like, oh, that he was afraid if he did the test, it would disprove his theory. So there's a, still a lot of, like, misjustice that happens. Uh, and I think we only have like one or two episodes left of that in the, in the way that it's wrapping up. But it's like those kinds of shows, man, like they're just terrifying to see how flawed our justice system can be and how yeah. it can like take it. And this guy, like he's super rich and he spent like all of his money on like hundreds of thousands of dollars on this defense and lost the first time. And so now he's going through retrials, etc. But like, what if it had, what if this happened to me or like a random person that does not have hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire the best attorney in the state to bring in all these expert witnesses from across the globe or not expert witnesses, but like expert analysts and stuff like prove how the blood spatter doesn't mean what the DA is saying. It means like if it was just me, like I'd be fucked. And that's terrifying to know that it's not like, Oh, you get out of jail because you're rich. It's you can only put up a good defense if you're rich. Because right. the state has infinite resources. They'll do whatever they can to convict you. But you have limited resources. And it's just not a fair fight. And that's scary. But it's a really good documentary. Because <laughs> it's, it's not me. So whatever. Uh, and then continue to watch a couple episodes of Rest of Development, Kitchen Nightmares. And then we've been watching a little bit of Blue Planet. Because Netflix just put out their new Planet Earth style show. I think it's called like Our Planet or something. And uh, so I wanted to watch through Blue Planet because we never finished that before we start uh, the Netflix one. So nature. Okay. It, nature's, nature's cool. I like nature. Yeah. I, I like and looking at nature f- through a TV screen. Oh, 100%. 100%. 
Yeah, I don't need to go out there. Let's not get crazy. Yeah. I got groceries <laughs> today, and as I was walking back into the house, there was a bee by my front door. And I was like, hey, you know what? If all the bees die, I'm not going to be yeah. that upset. I mean, I'm sure it would have big implications in areas that we don't understand. But yeah, we have like bumblebees, but we have two. I don't know if they have a nest or hive or I don't know how bumblebees work in that way. But they just hang out on our back porch. And it's very tedious to like have to make sure they aren't going to fly into the house or like bite you or whatever. And they're the bumblebees. Like they're the nice ones. If it was wasps, it'd be totally different. But still, it's like, come on, guys. Leave (laughs) us alone here. Go somewhere else. Yeah. There are flowers everywhere. <laughs> Why do you need these? <laughs> well, that's everything we've been uh, doing. So what do I say we talk about some news? Because there's so much news to talk about. Oh, there's some just, there's some stuff. Like big stuff, too. It's not even stuff that we can like race through even if we wanted to. I know. Like some of the stuff we actually have to like talk about. I know. Ugh. And like have opinions and like be Oy interesting. Vey. It's the worst. It's like a rare instance on this Who podcast the for, for that. Like, yeah. Give perspective and like insight onto a news story. But uh, the biggest one, obviously, Google Stadia, which is the plural of stadium. It is also a stupid name. Um, it, it's one of those where like they thought about it too hard. <laughs> like it was like the meaning of it totally makes sense. But saying it is dumb. And that's the what matters about it. Obviously, everyone has a different perspective. I'm sure there are plenty of people that think it's cool, but I think it's dumb. Google Stadia. It's dumb. I think all names are dumb. And then you say them <laughs> enough everything. and you don't notice anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Um, like Kyle. That's a stupid freaking name. It's Kyle. very stupid. That's, that's like, a dumb yeah, name. But you say dumb. it enough and you just forget about it. I don't know. I still think every time I say it, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> but you do get more used to it, I guess, to your point. I don't think I'll ever like feel good about Kyle. It's it's like it's like an ugly like, it's such an ugly sound and then like oh it's such an ugly sound, Kyle. Like it just sounds like, like you sound poor, Kyle. You sound like a it just sounds like a poor person's name. <laughs> <laughs> I like the disdain. It's like it sounds poor. Like this is like this is a peasant's name. Yeah, that's a there you lowly go. That's, surf. You don't you deserve go. to be educated, right, Kyle? <laughs> All right, so Google Stadia. Uh, yeah. So what is what's this? What is what is this thing? You're smarter than me. What's this thing? It's, it's like a streaming it, thing. So imagine, you oh, know, paint a picture with your words. All right, I'm gonna close um, my eyes. Everyone, close your eyes, ex- unless you're driving. All right, let I'm, Kyle paint a picture scape. I'm gonna with language. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna grab a little bit of green. Mm-hmm. And mix it with some red, mm. and then I'm going to put a nice, happy little berry bush right down here on the bottom right. If you mix green and red, doesn't that just make brown? Uh, it's a da- a dying berry bush. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to add some blue because it needs to be watered. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's in the act of being watered. Uh, so now that you have your brown blue mush, that's right. Google Stadia. St- Stadia. Stadia. Perfect Stadia? description. Sta- I think it's Stadia because it's the pro- of stadium. Stadium, Stadia. Oh, no, maybe it is Stadia. Just Stadia? Yet another point in the column of stupid name if you can't even know, you know how to pronounce it. I think it's Stadia. I think it is. I could be wrong. I think it's Stadia. All right. 
So what we're yeah, Google Stadia. Do. Look it up. Imagine. Mm-hmm. All right, a real painting of picture with mm-hmm. with just words. Imagine you have a box on your shelf, and it looks like a PlayStation Four or an Xbox One. But when you pick it up, it's super light. There's mm-hmm. no, there's like like almost nothing inside of this box. But you can turn it on and play. In 4K, 60 frames per second, any game, any game. You might ask yourself, or ask me, Kyle, poor person, how is this possible? How how, how could this practically empty box be capable of such uh, pristine visual fidelity and performance? To which I would answer... Uh, it's mm-hmm. streaming. It's like a it's like a video streaming thing. Well, also for clarification purposes, there isn't even a box. No, there's no box. Right. So this is an imaginary box. Right. Right. Because the whole because I don't want I don't want to confuse people because this is all technical stuff and it, I watched the live stream the whole thing. I didn't want to, but I did. And they went into some detail where I was like, I don't know what they're saying now. No, but- I I think my uh, explanation was perfect. <laughs> I think everyone's got a really clear <laughs> mental picture. Okay, so put it's you, should have put Google, you on the stage. Google Stadia. You can stream games through the Google Chrome browser. Any game yes. that is working on there, the, the developers choose to bring it to that platform. Developer publisher chooses to bring it to that platform. You'll be able to stream it. Uh, not very clear on how the marketplace is going to work yet, but let's say you mm-hmm. own that game through your Google account. Um, you can just open up a browser tab and play it and it can be in 4k 60 frames per second because the way it's structured is they don't just have like a bunch of Xbox ones stacked on top of each other and you are playing off of an Xbox one. They have, it's like modular and it can scale. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. they have like these specific computers they have built. They're basically just like GPU boxes. Um, it's just graphic processing unit boxes. Um, and they can just like m- say, "Hey, you're running a game that needs more than a box, so we're gonna give you the resources from like five boxes." Right and now, like, so you will always be able to hit that consistent um, performance. So, ba- like, basically, conceptually, unlimited resources to run a game. Also conceptually, because you are not like so a big thing with online multiplayer is client side hosting or like client side servers. And like that's why you have like um, you have uh, like like let's say you're playing Call of Duty and someone quits and they were the host. It has to host migrate. And then now the connections all of a sudden terrible for you and you alone because you're really far away from this person. But the other people in the match aren't as far away. So they have better connection. They have a leg up on you in multiplayer matches. Not the case anymore. With Stadia, everything is hosted through their own servers and their own like GPU stacks. So everyone has essentially the same ping to their servers. Um, and like they said, imagine a thousand player battle Royale because like part of the limitations of a battle Royale game is like the engine and the server, like how it handles all the data load, all the people interacting and running around that same map at the same time. Well, imagine you had like basically infinite resources, like you're no longer restricted to what's in like 
a couple of server stacks at the developers like software farm wherever they store those things and it's not limited to the like computer uh box that you have or the xbox that you have on your shelf like it's literally it can just scale based on what the requirements are Mm -hmm. um now like that has a lot there are a lot of questions that go along with that right like a lot of questions (laughs) yeah like uh let's say for a developer um or a publisher they have a game that is more taxing to run requires more resources than another game so do they have to pay google more to host their game than like an indie game does because like let's say you know, like thousands and thousands of people could be running off of one of Google's Stadia boxes uh, to run a small little indie game to stream it. Or like, let's say the thousand person battle royale game takes like several stacks of these boxes just to run one instance. So do the developers of the indie game and the developers of the battle royale game pay Google differently? And like, how does that scale? How does that affect monetization going forward? Like when all of a sudden the cost for storefronts housing your game are different um also like how do these games get marketed to you well google has an answer for that you could be watching a youtube video of a game and click the hey i want to play this game button and then it could bring you to a screen and say yep i'm gonna buy this and then boom you buy it and within a few seconds you are then in the game playing it because it just like routes your video stream to one of their boxes that has the game ready to go and then you're playing it in just a few seconds of watching the YouTube video. Like, no downloading. It's all streaming. Like, it, th- there are some limitations, right? So there's going to be, like, for first-person shooters, there's the tiniest little bit of latency. Which Well, and a lot of that's driven because, like, the, the only hardware that you're really purchasing is the controller. And even yeah. if you're playing on PC, they say they're going to support third-party controllers like the PS4 controller, Xbox One controller. But, like, that Stadia controller is the thing you would buy if you want to play on your TV or whatever. Right. And so it, it runs on Wi-Fi. And so there's going to be that tiny bit of latency depending on how strong their signal is. Because, you know, like, the PS4 controller, that's that's running on Wi-Fi too, right? Uh, No. Okay. The PS4 controller is, I believe, some type of Bluetooth. It's not okay. Wi-Fi. So, the, so, so that that's the better. big deal about how this, why the Stadia controller is important, is that mm-hmm. because it's Wi-Fi, it's actually the controller is tied to your Google account. So because it's not tied to the device on which you're playing, there's actually a little bit less latency in your controls because it's not connecting to a device and then connecting to their servers. It's connecting mm-hmm. directly to their directly servers, servers while you're getting your video stream. So it helps eliminate a little bit of that latency. And you can then just take your controller and like go Anywhere. over to your computer yeah. and click it. And the controller's still tied into their servers through your Wi-Fi, so you can just play it on another screen or you can boot it up on your iPad and play it there too. Like yeah. It's really fascinating. And like they also had... Uh, like mock-ups of in all these different server window or a browser windows and stuff, you could be watching your friends play because everyone playing stadia also has a video stream of their session going like yeah. automatically. And that, that's, um, those are the elements. Cause they kind of talked about it in three pillars. Like they talked about it, the developers, the gamers, and then like the content creators. Right. And that third pillar is certainly the part that like has no interest to me. Like I, I'm not going to watch people streaming games. We don't need more people trying to stream games with their lack of personality. Like there are some interesting ideas for developers to be able to maximize that community feel. So like they can add elements, you know, they, they, they gave an example of like, a guy playing, 
you know, NBA 2K19 or whatever, he can add an element of like, hey, your viewers can queue up to play against you directly within the stream on YouTube. Right. Like all, all those integrations are potentially really cool just because Google runs the planet. Like they have Google, yeah. they have YouTube already built in. So that, that can be really interesting for people that like those things. I just have no interest whatsoever. So a lot of that's kind of lost on me. I care more about what are the games? Like how is this going to improve my gaming experience and the idea of being able to stream games isn't like i don't really care about that personally because i'm i'm bought into the console ecosystems like i'm gonna buy the next playstation i'm gonna buy the next nintendo i may buy the next microsoft console so like this isn't gonna stop me from buying those because i'm not gonna be able to play every game i can on a console on the stadia because right. they need to have additional licensing deals. And, you know, my skepticism, which could be proven wrong, says that the experience isn't going to be as good, despite what Google's trying to tout about this, because it is streaming. I am not loading a game on my system and playing it directly on my system. I'm streaming it over the internet, which is highly variable. And, they, they you know, they gave statistics about what kind of speeds you need in order to get certain executables. And they said, hey, if you have a 30 Mbps you can get that 4K 60 frames per second. With right. 20 Mbps, you can get that 1080p 60 frames a second. I'm not sure I really buy that um, just because of the way... Like They're like, hey, if you can stream in, in 4K on YouTube or like 1440 on YouTube, you'll be able to do it in, in the game because right. of the way that the streaming works, the way that the power works. And like yeah. that's really great to say, but until it gets out in the wild, I just... We've been burned so many times by streaming game platforms, not to mention new types of gaming interactions that like I just I'm not going to believe it until it's out in the wild and millions of people are doing it. Yeah, but like if anyone has the wherewithal and the infrastructure and like the know-how to make it happen, it's going to be Google. Yeah, totally like, agree. Because, because like they have YouTube, like they have all yes. these other services like Google is like this is like the ultimate test case like right. will people do this and i think this is going to be bigger than console gaming because like look at mobile gaming is bigger than console gaming the reach is certainly much larger yeah but anybody it's, it's like, who plays mobile games can now also do this thing like yeah but like are those people going to because i think what, it, so i think it all comes back to like what are the gaming experiences because i mean phil harrison like the guy running stadia has been adamant that their core user base to start are the hardcore gamers. That's why they're going after id Software and getting Doom on this. That's why they're getting Assassin's Creed on this. That's why they have Jade Raymond starting a new studio to create first-party experiences and work with third-party publishers to get those games onto their systems. Like They say they are focused on core, hardcore, hashtag gamers... And those aren't the broad demographics. Those aren't the people playing mobile games. That accessibility is really awesome. But, like, are those people going to do it? Because those people, the people playing games on their phones, aren't going to play Doom. Like, they're they're not going to do that. So that that that's where the, 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 the meshing isn't really happening. Or I'm not really seeing that. I see them expanding on it. And, like, this seems like, for me, the ideal consumer of this is, like, there's the one hand which are... I don't even know that I would call them hardcore gamers, but gamers that are hardcore into specific titles. Like the people that watch Twitch streams of Fortnite for eight hours a day. Yeah. Like there's that segment that are going to get out a lot out of the content creators. Like the 12-year-olds. Like that's the demographic I'm talking about. 
the yeah. 12 year olds that want to be YouTube famous still those people and then there's the casual audience of what you're talking about that it's so easy all you need to do is buy this controller which I'm sure will be relatively reasonably priced 40 bucks 50 bucks and you ha- already have your Google account because they own your life and so all you need to do is log in and you can play all your easy games that you could get on your phone right. those are the two demographics and I'm not seeing how they, they're bridging yet because they're focused so heavily on the hardcore and what they've presented so far I think it comes down to, like, so the type of experiences that are attractive, like, I think most people want to play big, like, high-budget games. Like, most, I think most people are down for, like, trying that, but there's a barrier to entry with all of those, right? Like, if it's hardware or software cost, there's a barrier to entry. This eliminates most of that barrier, and so I think, like... Anybody who's played Fortnite or PUBG on a phone or whatever, they're like, why would they not try this? It's like 40, 50 bucks for the controller, and then I'll try this other game. And like the other thing about it is the way companies are going to be able to set up demos now, because they have like it built into Stadia, they have this like, um, it's like a save state share function. Like, mm-hmm. you could be playing a game, and then, like, something cool happens, you roll it back a little bit, and then you push out a link, and it's like like a bit.ly link that someone could click on, and then if they own the game, they could play, like, from that moment exactly what you were doing, and, like, try that challenge or whatever it might be in a game, or, like, look at something cool, and all of a sudden they're in it, like... They developers and publishers can push out demos in a really controlled fashion. Mm-hmm. Like it just timed demos. Like you don't have to download a demo anymore. You just click a button. Yeah, I want to try this game, and I play it for ten minutes, and it times out. That I like it. Yeah, buy it, and then I can keep playing immediately. The barrier to entry is almost non-existent. It's I, crazy. I think you are you are hundred percent right, and that is absolutely the bet that Google is making. I'm saying I'm not convinced that it will succeed. And obviously there are a lot of people much smarter than me at Google that made these decisions. But when I look at like your argument about there being a barrier entry, look at how many millions of people own a PS4 or an Xbox and all they do on it is play FIFA every year or play Madden every year. Millions of people do that. They have no additional barrier to entry to go pick up God of War or Red Dead Redemption 2 and they aren't. So that I'm not seeing where the difference between that and Google Stadia is. Could they I, I reach guess those people comes, in a different think, way? Sure, but I think it comes down to marketing, right? Like how they're being pushed those other experiences. Because on a console, on a home console, you don't really get a lot of ads for other stuff going on. It's like a tiny little box somewhere. But this, like, they'll be able to push every single YouTube video you watch. Like, yeah. will have a link on it, or it'll be a sidebar on Facebook, like. All the ad slots will be filled up with game stuff. Like as you go through different websites, because Google, Google is basically the internet, so they can like on all your Google searches, they could have ads for games that they like through their data, like watching what you do and what you play. They accumulate like all this data and say they would probably like this game, so they push it out or they say, "Hey, try this free demo," and you just click on it, play it for ten minutes. Yeah, that was okay. Again, it's about like it's the, the marketing capability is insane. 
Like the ability to market to wide swaths of people in a personalized way is crazy because like you could you could market that before, right? Like, hey, you like this type of game, you should probably get Red Dead. Well, what do I have to do to get Red Dead? I have to go log on to my PS4, hop on the PSN store, have to buy it and let it download for like two days or I have to go to the store and buy it. Like people aren't going to do that. Now it's, hey, you want to play Red Dead? Yeah, click. Play it right I'm now. playing Red Dead. Yeah, like that's, that's fair point. It'll, it, I mean, obviously, with all of this, it will be fascinating to see how it shakes out. Yeah, my my um, skepticism is one on the like adoption side of it. Like, are the hard is the hardcore audience really going to want yet another store that they're interacting with? Like, they no. even said in questions, they even said like. Uh, I think Game Informer had an interview with Phil Harrison where they were asking some deep dive stuff on it. And they asked, like, how do save states work? Like, if I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey on my PS4 and I go and get it on the Google whatever, if it's a script subscription service or buy the game to play on Stadia, can I bring my save state over and, and play it on Stadia that way? And he was like, you know, we're going to have to work with – like, the, that's up to the publisher. We're going right. to have to work with them. It's going to be an individual case-by-case basis. They don't have a standard – like, that seemed – like, there's just a lot of the detail that still needs to be worked out. Now, obviously, this thing, it's not live. You can't go buy it yet. I'm sure they'll get a lot of the kinks worked out ahead of time. But there's just a lot of – there are a lot of ways – that this could become tedious for the end user in a way that it, that will hurt adoption. Like if if some games I can cross play, awesome. But if I can't cross play on all games and I have to know which ones I can and can't, the way that like that was a big problem with PS Vita because yeah. each game was different with between PS4 and PS Vita if you could cross play, cross save, etc. That it, it was hard for the end user, the people that we're talking about here that are not the like, they're, they're not people listening to this podcast. Like they're the, right. the quote unquote casual gamers who still play lots of games, but they're not like in the community the way that we, you and I are. Like you can, how could you, how do you expect them to know and to do that research? They're not gonna. And so it needs to be, you know, to your point, as easy as possible for them when they're on YouTube and say like, oh, you can literally play this right now. Like that's as easy as it could possibly get. Right. The key becomes the people that are one step farther that are playing that game on a different console, and it says, "Oh, do you want to play? You want to play Assassin's Creed right now? Hell yeah! Let me load it up. I'll load up my save file. I'm already sitting in front of my computer. Let me do that. Oh wait, I can't. I have to start a new game. Oh, but I just purchased this. Like that. Be, that could become a complete shit show really quickly. The second part of my skepticism is more about the technical side of it, and that just can't be proven until it's out in the wild. I just yeah. have a really hard time believing that this." will work the way for everybody that they say it's going to and saying even like 20 mbps for the minimum 1080p 60 that they want the majority of americans don't have access to internet that is that good so like again that comes back to the broad adoption of this i just don't see the viability of it yet until they get google fiber everywhere which comcast and time warner and whatever are you know, in bed with the government, making sure that doesn't happen until we get Google fiber everywhere. And Google takes over another chunk of the whole entire world. I just don't see this being broadly adopted because it can't be because people don't have the internet speeds. Yeah. I think that's going to be like the one thing to hold it back. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but the, the other part of it is, Hey, if you're playing on a phone, you don't need those speeds. Cause you, it's not 1080p, like not really on a phone. Fair. So it it also depends on the device in which you're using. Like on a television, like yeah, you need 1080p or 4K, so it's probably going to be a bigger data stream. But mm-hmm. on like depending on your monitor size, depending on the device you're using, you probably don't need. It's probably not as much data, I would assume. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure, but I would assume. Um, 
And I think the other part of it is, as it's weird to me that they're marketing this so much towards, or at least the initial kind of stint towards the hardcore gaming audience. It's weird to me they're doing that because the hardcore gaming audience is never going to be satisfied with any amount of latency. And right. there will be some latency. Like, it's right. just, it's, there are certain games that it's not going to be optimal. It will be, but I, the vast majority of people that play games are not looking for optimal. They're looking for easy. And, like, that's yeah. why Fortnite on mobile is so big. Like, that's not the optimal way to play the game. That's a shitty way to play the game. But it's the easiest way and the most mm-hmm. accessible way. I think that's what the majority of people are looking for, and the majority of people are what's going to drive market trends. So, like, I, yeah. that's why it's weird to me that, like, they're trying for, like, Doom and other titles like that. I, it just seems... It, it just seems at odds with, like, how they're how they're probably going to make the most money. Well, and, and it, it might not be about that. Obviously, like, their business, their goal is to make money, but maybe they, this isn't supposed to be such a broadly adopted service to start. Maybe that is why they're focusing Fair. on the hardcore gamers, because we're the testers, right? Like, we, we will prove the viability of this so that they can make it cheaper and easier to create and get this stuff out there so that they can get it into more and more hands that makes i mean sense. from that perspective it, it kind of makes sense to to focus the way that they are and it really is just like what they're trying to do is prove the use case for this right like prove that it is a viable option and then they can expand and become the game only game in town um which we have an, another rumor mill here that might say that they wouldn't be the only game in town for this but I don't know. It's it's certainly interesting times. Uh, they have yeah. said time and time again, like we'll hear more in the summer. So whether that means they'll be at E three or not, um, or they they have their own separate thing that they do again, uh, we'll see. The bigger rumors that I've seen is that this is going to be a subscription service, not a Steam like marketplace or Epic Game Store marketplace. Interesting. Which again would be a differentiator. Uh, and and again, that kind of goes back to like. What does the library look like? Can they right. justify a subscription service um, with enough games to play? The first party studio, which is Stadia Games and Entertainment, which isn't the most creative name for a game studio, but I guess it's clear. The one that's <laughs> yeah. being um, led by Jade Raymond at the Stadia announcement was her seventh day on the job. So, <laughs> you know, they had said that that studio has been working on stuff. It's not like they literally just opened, but. Her whole pitch about like, hey, we're making AAA first party games for this, as well as working with second party publishers to like bring new um, elements, like you un- new unique uh, use case examples of how they can bring the games to uh, to our system. They're ver- they're very early on. Like this isn't something I think where we're going to see a game come from her studio in the next year. Uh, but Stadia, or Stadia, whatever, is launching in 2019. So they say, presumably around the holidays. Uh, It'll be nuts. It will be nuts. Regardless of how this goes, it's going to be uh, very interesting. And yeah. uh, we'll see how Microsoft and Sony adapt. And Because, um, you know, the, the presumption is that they're both announcing new consoles this year or early next year, too. So, like, how do those things compare? Do they have similar streaming capabilities? Obviously, you would hope PlayStation can do something that, with that. With the Gaikai acquisition, the PlayStation Now stuff that they never really maximized. So, I don't know, man. It's it's certainly interesting times. A lot of this um, is not what I'm looking for from video games. No, me neither. And some of that might just be my age and that I've been in the community for, you know, 25 years at this point playing well, and games. Like, you and I are long-time gamers and like we mm-hmm. 
we are more about performance and quality than ease of use in most cases. Yeah. Like you and, and I care solo about experiences. I like, and I want to play video games by myself or like with friends. I don't want to play big multiplayer games, which is where the industry is trending. You know, all the right. battle royales, the competitive stuff. Like I just have no interest in any of that. So just the way that the industry is trending is not what I'm looking for out of video games, which like right. I have a little bit of anxiety about that just cause like, I don't want to lose this hobby, you know? It's it's like crazy to think about it that way, but um obviously they don't make video games just for me, so can't be mad yeah. about it. So yeah, so that's the Stadia. Obviously crazy. um yeah, I feel like I feel like we gave some opinions there, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was <Couple>. the goal. <laughs> like I w- I will insights? try this at the first some... opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 definitely like a more of a wait and see just like to see i want to see them get the kinks out first and see the viability of it first before i like want to spend money on buying a controller or something like that yeah well i I wouldn't be buying the controller i'd be playing mouse and keyboard first like but i want to like i want to try a game running on stadia to just like i need to see for myself i guess it it depends on what the model is if it's a subscription service where like you can get a month for free 100 percent, i'll dive in it and check it out but if it's something where i need to go buy games I don't know. I might wait and see what, what people have to say about it first. Right. Um, so, shortly after the Stadia announcement, we got a rumored story coming from Game Informer uh, that Walmart is working on a streaming platform much like Stadia. This is something where it was around last year at GDC as well that there were rumors that Walmart was talking to some developers and publishers about this. And again, this year, also talking to developers and publishers. So could be announcing something at any point or maybe they're a little too early on. But uh, hard to imagine that Stadia would be on an island for very long, if at all. So I'm sure there will be additional competitors that come out there with this sort of technology. Yeah, the other thing, like Walmart does not have the in into our lives like google does 100 percent. like the only other like company that i could see making a like a realistic bid for this would be amazon mm-hmm. like what they have their twitch prime integration already uh and all this other stuff that's kind of like they kind of have like a gaming branch almost well already. yeah and they have they have internal studios gaming developing right. studios yeah so like i could see them like maybe they haven't chatted about it yet, but I could totally see them coming forward with something as well. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, you know, what what do? Because you know, Microsoft. I mean, we're about to talk about it. I guess let's we can just launch directly into that. Um, like Microsoft what? has announced like their stream only box, right for their Game Pass stuff. Right. Um, um, yeah, I don't think I actually pulled that story. Okay. Well, I'll um, touch on it real quick then. Just like yeah. yeah, so Microsoft has kind of like released this low cost. Uh, they've announced a low cost box. Uh, I don't remember what the pricing model on it is exactly, but it's uh, it's much cheaper than a traditional standard Xbox. But there's no disk drive. Like it's a stream only kind of thing, and it would mm-hmm. it would essentially be working in. Con- and there's also talks that they're going to be combining their Xbox Live Gold and their Game Pass subscriptions into one thing which is what you would want with a box like this. So basically you just play all their Game Pass games, you have Xbox Live Gold, and it's all stream only. Um, So it's a much cheaper box. It doesn't have to do a lot of the same, um, uh, like, hardware stuff that um, a traditional box does. Um, 
so that I feel like that's kind of Microsoft's version of it. And then of course, you know, Sony has their PlayStation now that never really took mm-hmm. off, uh, or at least not the way they were hoping it would. <clears throat> but now maybe now is a good time for them to reinvest in that, given where Google's at, and just it's it'll be weird having another real competitor. Yeah, to like another quote unquote console, right? Yeah, because that because it's been just the main three basically. Right. Yeah. Like it was it was PC, Nintendo, uh, Sony, and Microsoft, and now we're adding like Google, maybe Walmart, maybe Amazon. It'll it'll be strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you brought up the point about who else besides Google could take on something like this. And one of the first companies that jumped to my mind was Apple that they could do something like this. And right. ironically enough, they had a. a uh, not not quite on the same scale, not quite the same sort of thing, but called Apple Arcade, where this is purely focused on their mobile games, uh, their mobile game store, I should say. And it is a new subscription service that will help surface um, these types of games away. Because, you know, they just get all this free-to-play schlock in their stores. Right. So, so surface, paid games, even if they're yes. like $1, they never get any attention. Right. So it's a bit, a bit of a more curated experience for gamers, on mobile, uh, so the, and, you know there's like no ads in those games. Uh, they announced a couple of games that are coming over. They're having like the Pathless, which is a game coming from the Abzu team. Um, they announced a new game called Lifelike, which they showed like a little trailer, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, but the one that jumped out to me most was Lifelike, which reminded me a lot of like Flower and Flow, which is like it's very colorful and you're kind of like moving. They said they talked about it like it's using. Um, the phenomenon of like bird swarms and how they move in the sky and it's so like choreographed and unique and they're kind of right. using that sort of thing and creating gameplay systems around it it just looks really cool uh, a lot of the other ones weren't as interesting to me like the new game announcements but it'll be cool to see what games they're bringing over uh one interesting thing i thought from the trailer was when it showed people playing the games it was like always on ipad not on iphone I'm sure right. they just look better on iPad because it's a bigger screen, but that was kind of a an interesting use case because like most people would be playing them on iPhone, not on iPad. Uh, right. But I'm sure they would be better on iPad. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting idea for people that are big into phone games. Again, this isn't really what I would be looking for, but if this is something that kind of takes off and there are a lot of unique experiences and games that are designed specifically for phones. I have a phone that's good enough that I could play this stuff now, so I might check it out. It kind of depends on what the subscription model looks like. It's right. supposed to launch in the fall, but no like pricing or spe- uh, specificity around that yet. Yeah, well, and now that you have like a now that you have a daughter, like your gaming habits and availabilities might change, and so yeah, experiences true. more like that might be something that you're engaging with more often. Yeah. So, I don't know. Again, changing times, lots of new ways of interacting with games, uh, and it's interesting to see companies kind of. Um, like Apple doubling down on their games and not just focusing on the free to play stuff and really kind of like right. helping support paid games on their on their platform in ways that they have clearly had they've never shown interest in doing that up until this point. Yeah, and it's in like to have all this kind of stuff drop so close together feels weird. Like maybe it was yeah. just maybe it was just kind of like long time coming, but um, it just it feels weird because I feel like both Google and Apple are not synonymous with games in any way. I mean, I would say the only leg of Google that is is YouTube, but like Google as a corporation definitely felt very removed from the industry um, Mm. and just very like it's a way for us to make a lot of money. 
Um, and now from like to see them enter the landscape in such a direct way uh, is strange. Yeah. Uh, on Nintendo's side, they have. Um, I mean, we had rumors for a while about them working on a new version of the console. I think we talked about this last episode, but uh, Wall Street Journal now has a report, so it's a pretty decent source that they that they say they have. Uh, there will be two new Switch models that could be announced as early as E3. Yeah. Um, they would have a cheaper version with things like the HD rumble removed, and then there'd be a more enhanced version for like hardcore gamers, but no specifics around like what additional stuff would be present in that. Um, yeah, they're, they're just expecting an announcement at E3, and then it would come out in this fall. So um, curious to see how that, how that goes. Nintendo, hopefully neither, always... of, those, hopefully neither of those versions uh, bend like mine has. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Nintendo is bent. They've never shied away from doing multiple models of a system, so it totally makes sense for them to to do something like that. Kyle is showing me his bent switch. That's a bummer. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been, mine. Uh, it did that like a month after I got it. It was bent. Yeah, mine is not docked often, so I, I guess hopefully I am able to avoid that from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Nintendo also had a Nindies direct for focus on indie games, where they had a bunch of announcements. Um, just to kind of run through those real quick. So Cuphead is coming to Switch on April 18th, which is pretty awesome. I will definitely check that out. Uh, and then last year I did a top games from E3 2018 list on ShadesEverything.com. A couple games from that list now have release dates. So My Friend Pedro, which is a Devolver Digital game. It looked right. awesome. They showed it at their at their press conference last year. It's kind of like a side-scrolling shoot 'em up um, twin stick shooter sort of feel to it, but it's very acrobatic and over the top. Uh, that is coming in June to Switch as a console exclusive. And then NeoCab, which I also highlighted in that article, which is like a futuristic Uber simulator slash narrative adventure game, which are with a really cool like neon sort of Wolf Among Us visual look to it. Um, that's coming out in the summer as well. And then um, Double Fine's new game called Rad is coming in the summer. Uh, and then Vlambeer is bringing their they're bringing their games. They're uh, awesome um, duo. They put out Nuclear Throne, which is now available on Switch. And then there's game Super Crate Box, which is coming out in April. And then they also announced Vlambeer Arcade, which are going to be a bunch of like more like smaller one-off games. Uh, the first one in that is going to be called Ultra Bugs, which is a 2D kind of pixel shooter that they're That's working on uh, coming to Switch. That is a very good name. And then um, the Stranger Things 3 game, which doesn't look great, but it's, you know, who knows? It's tied to the series, so it might be cool. That's coming out on July 4th to coincide with the release of Season 3 on Netflix. And then there's a Crypt of the Necrodancer spinoff called Cadence of Hyrule. So it's like a tie-in to Zelda, which is coming out uh, the spring. So a lot of cool indie stuff coming to Switch. Okay, and then uh, sticking with new consoles and shit. So the uh, Sega has fully revealed the Sega Genesis Mini following in the footsteps of the NES Classic, the SNES Classic, and whatever the PS1 Classic thing was. Yeah, They're saying there's going to be 40 games, over 40 games in fact, uh, including Shiny, Shining Force and Castlevania Bloodlines were the two headliners. And if those are the two headliners, mm, yeah. Um, so (laughs) this, I guess I should say this was specific to the Japanese version. There may be different games coming to the U S based on licensing deals or whatever. We don't really know yet. 
They are going to have the controller be the same shape and size as the original Genesis controller, which is weird. Like that controller was kind of hefty if my memory serves. Yeah. Uh, but the console's obviously going to be much tinier. And it's coming out September 19th. I've not seen that much buzz surrounding the Genesis Mini. Probably because people are feeling burned from the, the PS1 classic. Right. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Like a lot of like weird stories kind of behind some of these small like mini consoles like mm-hmm. how the snes or the nes one was actually just using like an emulator to run right. <laughs> like their right mini console and stuff like that um, and atari had announced a mini version thing of theirs which i don't think they've come out and, and talked anymore about just because there was a lot of shadiness around that so yeah. i think people are, are, are getting pretty skeptical about these these things nowadays yeah it's weird and like, I mean, this I would not buy this because I have a Genesis and it still works. <laughs> so that's fair. I wouldn't buy this because I'm not interested. So. Also fair. <laughs> uh, and then we got some press conference announcements for E3. Uh, oh just Bethesda man, it's and, right around the corner, dude. I know, dude. It's in June. So Bethesda and Ubisoft came out and, and kind of outlined when they're going to be presenting some stuff. So Bethesda's is Sunday, June 9th at 5:30 Eastern. They have already said we will get, um, uh, or sorry, we should say they have already announced that we won't get Starfield or Elder Scrolls Six, which probably smart of them to get out ahead of it. But it's also a big bummer because I care about those, and I was hoping to get a little bit more of Starfield, um, right? Since that's the game they're actively working on, it makes it obvious that them announcing it last year was clearly like a hedging on fallout 76 because they knew that reactions would be mixed so they wanted to prove like oh for all the people that care about our core stuff we're still working on that even though they have nothing to show for it yet uh it kind of points that out a bit so i wonder if even next year they'll, they'll be talking about starfield yet like that's something that at this right. point feels it's like a 2022 game you know what i mean so who knows? Yeah. And then that would make Elder Scrolls like a 2026 game or well, something. Well, yeah. So. I mean, these games, they take forever to make. Yeah. I mean, they're huge. They're huge games. They take their time with them. Uh, I'm not right. going to get mad about that, but it is like, if you're going to announce a game and then it comes out that much after, that's like the last Guardian Syndrome. Or Kingdom Hearts 3 Syndrome, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Friggin', uh, what was it? Final Fantasy 13. Um, oh, shit. What was that called? It was like a Final Fantasy 13 offshoot game that eventually became Final Fantasy 15. It was supposed to be like this action RPG. They announced it at E3 and then like it totally went dark. Right. And then it resurfaces 15. I don't remember what that was called. But that game looked really dope. And then Final Fantasy 15 came out and it was a piece of shit. So that was fun. Yeah. So for Bethesda, I kind of just made a list of like what I would expect to see at the show. Obviously, we're going to see more of Doom Eternal. Obviously, we're going to see some more Fallout 76 because they're not going to abandon that. Like they already put out no, the Wild they have Appalachia a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they've announced for that all game. the DLC. So, and by the um, time they, they, E3 rolls around, they should be gearing up for their like second really big DLC drop. Yeah, like free DLC drop, content drop. Yeah. So like that's a good time for them to be like, hey, we know this had a really rocky launch and we didn't handle things properly, but like we're making good on it, and now is a great time to jump in and try the game. Um, yep. If you got it and weren't satisfied with it at first things are very different now uh and the experience is vastly different so i think that's probably i i would assume if they're not too afraid to talk about it on stage that'll be that's probably kind of the message they would want to get across yeah um 
they recently put out a trailer and release date for Wolfenstein Youngblood, the kind of co-op yeah. offshoot. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that there again, even if it's just a trailer. Rage 2 will have just come out the month prior or just a couple weeks prior. So I don't. they may announce DLC plans for that game. Um, I, I don't know how much they're going to lean into that. And then Elder Scrolls Blades, even if it's just like an update of like, oh, this the, the open early access was so successful, blah, blah, blah. Talk a little bit about it. And then, you know, I'm sure they're still going to hit on their... Um, Elder Scrolls Online stuff. I'm sure that game will still be going at, the, right. at that point. Beyond that, like, I'm not really sure what else there would be. Uh, knowing Evil that Starfield three. will be there. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Like, what other what other second party studios do they have? Like, right. What like whatever Arcane is doing now. I, I don't know because you know they're not doing Dishonored. They don't have anything announced, right? It was just no Dishonored and then Prey. So Prey two. I don't know. Yeah, I could see a Prey two. I'd be all right with that. Yeah. So. It just doesn't really new. seem like there's that much other stuff. Because um, Machine Games obviously has the Wolfenstein. The, we've got Doom. We've got Rage. The Id's working. So I don't know. We just don't have... There's not that much other stuff. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm not sure. Like Another I expansion guess, for Elder Scrolls Online. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm sure they'll talk about that. Yes, they yeah. will 100% talk about that. But like if there's a big thing to anchor it on, like Fallout 76 was last year, I guess it'd be Doom Eternal. Where like they would spend yeah. you know multiple minutes talking about it and showing it and doing a gameplay demo. I guess that would be the fit, and then maybe like their one more thing announcement is whatever Arcane is working on. There yeah. just doesn't seem to be a ton there that is, that isn't a known quantity already. So we'll right. see what happens. Do you think it's Todd Howard? Do you think he comes out and talks again or not? Nah? Um, it depends on how much they're going to talk about Fallout seventy six. Yeah, if. if because he's not going to be the guy for anything other than Bethesda Softworks. Fallout, right. Yeah. Like, he's not going to talk about any of these other games because yeah. Bethesda's just there from, from a ZeniMax yeah. perspective as a publisher. I bet like, I bet Todd comes out to talk about Fallout 76, and then I bet he hands off the update about Elder Scrolls Blades to someone from the project to talk about that. Yeah. And then... I bet, yeah, I bet that's pretty much all we see of Todd. I bet he just comes out to talk about Fallout 76 and maybe, like, highlights. I bet I bet they do, like, a here's all the fun stuff the community's done in Fallout 76. Sure. And then here are the changes that we've made, and now's yeah, a great maybe. time to hop in. That almost, that almost feels more like a Pete Hines thing. Because he's, like, even when it comes to, like, capital letters bethesda it feels like pete hines is more the guy than todd howard is because todd howard's all about elder scrolls and fallout like the bethesda software side right so if it's more just like kind of light and sweeping fallout 76 under the rug a little bit i could see that just being pete hines talking about it uh right so i don't know yeah it'll be really interesting to see just because i'm not i'm not seeing a bunch of new stuff for them to talk about yeah, just because it, and a lot of that's just because Rage Two will have just launched. Like that would be a big thing that they could show if that game was coming out in the fall, but it isn't. It will have already come out. So I just, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing a bunch to justify an hour long press conference. So we'll see what happens. On the Ubisoft side, there's this Monday, uh, June 10th at 1 p.m. So we've talked before how they have already said we have three to four AAA games releasing before next fiscal. So in the next year, from April to April, they have three to four AAA games. We've already talked about like what those might be and could be. You know, just to rehash, 
obviously it's not going to be Far Cry because New Dawn just came out. The Division right. 2 just came out. They've already said that Assassin's Creed is skipping 2019. We have some rumor mill stuff about that later on in the show, but that isn't coming out this year. Could it be? Could it come out next February and still be one of the fiscal 2020 games? Totally. I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. But then, like, if you look at what else there is, Watch Dogs 3 is the prevailing rumor that they're going to announce that. There are rumors that it's taking place in London. Splinter Cell has been rumored since last year, so that could certainly be Please, it. Please, God, Skull and Bone- Splinter Cell. Yeah. Skull and Bones, I mean, assuming that game hasn't been canceled yet, they've already announced it, so it should be coming out within the next year. Uh, and that would be three games right there. And then you have Beyond Good and Evil 2. Who knows how far along that is. I have a hard time believing that's coming out in the next year, but it certainly could be. Yeah. And then the only other thing, things that jumped out at me were a follow-up to uh, For Honor, which they've been supporting a lot. The community's pretty strong in that game, so I guess they could do a sequel. But they put out so many like DLC packs and stuff, it would feel weird to even do a sequel at this point. And then a sequel to Mario and Rabbids. That's like kind of all I've got in terms of like what they could announce new that's coming out that would be considered AAA if you could even consider Mario and Rabbids sequel a AAA game. Right, yeah. So I don't know. Again, huh. it's like at least with in this case there's potentially some stuff that has been unannounced um but nothing there that would be particularly surprising even if they even if they did like if they announced Watch Dogs 3 and Splinter Cell as coming out in the next year, I don't think many people would be surprised. Yeah, I guess I need to spend some time in looking at the old UB catalog and just, like, see what are some franchises they haven't touched in a really long time. I mean, Rayman's one of the big ones, but, like, yeah. that, I don't, I wouldn't consider that a AAA game. They may, no. they might consider it, but, and like, we talked about last episode, like, a Just Dance game. They're, they're going to have another new Just Dance game. Are they going to consider that a AAA game? So, I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay, so this here's an interesting one. Uh, I, and I think this is in response to kind of the success of Epic Game Store, Steam and Valve is finally taking a look at kind of oh. how their platform is working and kind of some of its flaws. Yeah. So they're changing how reviews work. Uh, there has been a long-time problem of review bombing on Steam. And ironically enough, with Borderlands 3 announcing that it's going to be Epic Game Store exclusive for however long, Borderlands 2 has been review bombed on steam and this new um uh system that they've set in place has been enacted with the borderlands 2 review bombing where essentially whenever there is an anomalous number of negative reviews they wipe them out and there are actual human beings they say that are looking into these uh circumstances the issue with this is that they aren't picking and choosing what reviews to get rid of. They just take a period of time and erase all those reviews. So even if somebody comes in and has a legitimate review, whether it's positive or negative, they're still thrown out. Because it's just like, oh, for the month of April, we're throwing out all of those reviews because of the review bombing. So like, it's just like, yet again, Valve is like trying to address a big-time problem, but they're doing it in a really shitty way that like clearly wasn't really thought through in a a very in a very good way so and like they're even considering these reviews as off topic like they're not even addressing the actual review bombing process they're just saying that they're oh they're off topic reviews that's just so and like the definition of it being off topic i have it here because it's super broad and unhelpful it says we define an off topic review bomb as one where the focus of those reviews is on a topic that we consider unrelated to the likelihood that future purchasers will be happy if they buy the game. 
And what that says to me, like in the case of Borderlands 2 review bomb, people going in and saying, um, fuck you Gearbox for making Borderlands 3 exclusive to Epic Game Store and 100 people write that review, those get thrown out because they aren't related to the game of Borderlands 2. But someone that is pissed off about Borderlands 3 being an Epic Game Store exclusive could go and write a review of Borderlands 2 and say, this game fucking sucks, the shooting is bad. Even if they don't think that, that's not why they're writing their review. If they write that, that's not considered a review bomb because that isn't off topic. It is actually related to the game. The reason behind the review is just as bad as the 100 people that wrote screw you for being on Epic Game Store, but because they wrote about the game, it's not considered a review bomb. I don't know. It's just like, obviously this is really hard to police even with people, but it's just like, it seems poorly thought out. Like, I just don't really, I just don't see how this really helps anything. And again, just goes back to my refrain of years and years. Why would anyone trust user reviews in the first place? Like if you're, if that you're, you know, if you're leaning on that, you, you've already lost. So I don't know. It's obviously it's like one step diagonally in the right direction. Just like most of what valve does. (laughs) Right. Uh, okay, speaking of Borderlands 3, I guess should have led with the fact that Borderlands 3 has been announced. <laughs> it's a game that's coming out. Yeah, uh, did, Gearbox... you, uh, did you watch that whole PAX panel? No, I, just, I watched the reveal trailer okay. and then I watched the other Borderlands 3 trailer. What happened at the PAX panel? Oh, man. Okay, so all right. Well, let's just say I don't have anything against Randy Pitchford. Mm-hmm. There are some things going around in the news right now with like sem- like in the past 2 years things have gone around in the news with him. He's made headlines for a few things. Um maybe not the best choice to put him on stage for a long period of time. I mean, he's the guy though. Like he runs the studio. But like the uh, uh, underage pornography w- was it a, uh, a phrase uttered in one of those allegations? And, right. like, embezzlement was another word uttered in one right. of those allegations. Like, regardless of whether or not he did it, like, that stuff is still fresh enough that, hey, maybe you don't have Pitchford be the lead. Like, you haven't come out at the beginning and go, like, hey, guys, we have some really awesome Borderlands stuff for you today. Like, yes, there's the thing that everyone's been waiting for, and we'll get there, but there's also some really great stuff to come. Yeah. Instead, what happened is he said that, and then he's like, but real quick, I'm going to do some fucking magic. So he did like mm-hmm. a fifteen minute magic trick where no it was really also fifteen minutes. Yeah, it was about fifteen minutes. It was also like an advertisement for their new like tabletop Borderlands claptrap game. Right. So all right, so I'll just spoil it, whatever. So he did this trick where he called two two random people up from the audience. It was their birthday. So he asked, like, hey, whose birthday is it in the audience? A few people raised their hand. He had him come up, he handed the girl it was a girl and a guy, he handed the girl a wrapped box. Totally wrapped, bow on it, everything. And then he gave the guy, like, this version of this new game. Like, this new tabletop claptrap game. And he opened it up, and he was, like, showing off the cards. And he's like, oh, guys, I have cards in my hand. You know what that means. I'm going to do some magic. So he, like, flipped through the cards. And he's like, oh, here's, look, look at this card. Why don't you sign this card? And so he gave it to the guy. The guy signed it, and he did, like, the bit where it's like, oh, I'm going to steal your identity because you signed the card, and this is your real signature, right? And you're not in on this, right? Okay, cool. So 
the guy signs this card. Randy shuffles it in, and then the card disappeared. Card's no longer there. And he's like, but wait, there's another. There's a wrapped box right over there in that girl's hands. So why don't you open that up? So she opens. So he takes off the bow, unwraps it, takes off the cellophane, opens the box. He's like, all right. And he does some magic stuff without touching the cards. He's like, okay, you have to count out the number of cards. You have to pick a number between 1 and 50, whatever. And you have to count out that many cards. And so the girl chooses 46. And he's like, hey, let's be real real sec for a quick sec. You have to count out 46 cards. And we're at a PAX panel. We don't have a lot of time. So maybe you want to pick a lower number. She's like, nope, 46. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, do it. She counts out 46 <laughs> cards. And, like, lo and behold, oh, the 46th or 47th card is the card the guy signed. Like, it was in the box wrapped. Oh, it's magic. That's great. That was, like, 15 minutes. And then Randy's like, hey. I know what you guys are here for. Let's roll this trailer. So they can't get the trailer to work. And, <laughs> and and so what he does is he brings some of the developers out. He's like, hey, so what you guys saw a couple flashes of before the trailer gave out was we're remastering Borderlands. And everyone's like, woo, it's like full 4K. And like he has like the developers talk about like their favorite part about the remaster, like the new mm-hmm. features instead of like be- it, it was it was it was fine. Like. It sucked that they yeah, couldn't play technical the difficulties doing what he yeah. can. Yeah, and then he's like, "All right, we have a couple of messages from our different studios around the world, and we're gonna cut to them real quick." So it cuts to these like studios, all these people assembled. They're like, "Yeah, woo, Borderlands, woo!" And he's like, "All right, we're gonna play the trailer for Borderlands 3. and it plays, but it's like skipping frames and it's super Ugh. choppy, and like it's not playing it right. Like, it's, like, one frame every, like, 0.75 seconds. And it's really bad. Um, And so they stop it. And, like, this goes on. Like, they try it several times. And it's, like, Randy's, like, all right, they said it's working this time, guys. Let's try it again. And it's just not working. And so, (laughs) like, everyone, I feel like everybody there was, like, okay, yeah, we know, like, it's PAX. Stuff happens. Right. Like, we're here for the trailer. They'll get it to work. They'll find some way to show us the trailer. It's fine. Uh, at one point, like, after, like, the third time of them trying to play it and it not working, Randy says something along the lines of, like, man, we should have brought our own equipment. Right, guys? Uh, and then everybody was like, boo! Because it was like, he was, like, saying, hey, it's PAX's fault that this isn't working. And I, I guess well, people really didn't like that. Wasn't um, it PAX's fault that it wasn't working? That's my whole thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like their equipment wasn't working with the stuff like that they wanted. Like, what? Like, I feel so sorry for the tech people that are like sweating in the back room. Like, it's not the yeah. tech people's fault, but it's like it's someone's fault in the organization right. that the shit isn't working right. Like, someone didn't check it first or something. Right. Um, and it's probably not the gearbox people's responsibility. It was probably PAX's. But like, PAX certainly is a not bunch Randy Pitchers. <laughs> Pax is like it's a bunch of volunteers and other stuff like that too. So like there's you take that into consideration as well. But like everyone, the whole internet really hates Randy Pitchford for saying that in like a really crazy kind of way. Yeah. People hate Randy Pitchford, period. Yeah, but anyway, like as someone who works in that kind of an industry and like works backstage when things don't go wrong and people are like upset they don't go right, like they aren't do- doing the right thing, I'm not like so offended that they're upset. I'm like, yeah, look, I get, I get it. Like that, this sucks. Mm. I'm doing what I can. I understand that you're mad at me. Like, because I should have had this figured out. Yeah. I mean, 
it, I feel like it's definitely complicated, and he probably shouldn't have said that, but, like, get over yourselves, internet. Yeah, but also, all he said was, man, really should have brought our own equipment, right? Yeah. He didn't say, like, all these PAX fuckers, yeah, like, having guy. their shit together, like, yep. fuck them. He didn't say that. He's like, maybe we should have brought our own equipment. Hey, yeah, maybe you should have brought your own equipment. Like, that's a legitimate but, thing to say, is if you had brought your own equipment, this would have worked. I get it. But the thing is, like, people hate Randy Pitchford, period. Right. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't because there are a lot of accusations, if yeah. true, that make him like a fucking piece of shit. But we hate him for those reasons, not for this they're, they're random accu- thing. They're accusations at this point, right? Like innocent until proven right. guilty and all that, which apparently does certainly doesn't exist on the internet. But my, my, my point is like Donald Trump. People hate Donald Trump. Anything Donald Trump says or does, people are going to hate that thing that he said or did because they hate Donald Trump. They don't hate what he said or did. They hate him. So yeah. they're, they're going to manipulate and make everything he does into something that is worth hating. That's what's happening with Randy Pitchford. Like, that's an innocuous comment to make. That, like, oh, maybe he shouldn't have said it, but who fucking cares? If it was Todd Howard, no one would give a shit. But because right. they hate Randy Pitchford, they're mad. That, yeah. That's all I'm trying to say about it. Yeah, if it was Todd and, Howard, there'd be a meme about it. Instead, it's Randy right. Pitchford, so people are like, fuck Randy Pitchford. But whatever. Right. Like, like as... Everybody, I've, I've listened to multiple podcasts and, like, video things of people talking about it across, like, multiple different outlets, like, media outlets, and they're all like, yeah, he shouldn't have fucking said that. Like, that's really shitty. Like, as someone who works in this blah, 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 blah. And, like, no, no, no. Just yeah. shut up. Like, hate yeah. him for other reasons. Find a right. good reason. This is a bad reason. Anyways. Well, whatever. They yeah. got to whatever. play the trailer eventually. They made it work. However they well, did it. Good. I don't know how. But Borderlands 3 trailer... Um, so, it looks like more Borderlands, and I feel yeah. like I'm I'm surprised at how ready I am for more Borderlands. See, I I'm kind of hmm, I'm coming at it kind of from the opposite side. Like I I wanted more Borderlands. The trailer just didn't do anything for me. Like I'm excited to play it. It will be fun. But like watching the trailer, I was like, I don't care about anything that's happening. Mostly, I just think it's a bad trailer. Like there's not really any personality to it. It's very generic music, really quick cuts in between, just guns and slow motion shooting. Like, there's not much excitement that happens in the trailer. You don't really learn that much about new things in the game in the trailer. It just is like, yes, we're making more Borderlands for four minutes. And I was just kind of like, this is just a bad trailer. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I've, I'm looking forward to it, but the trailer didn't do anything for me. They have since put out a second trailer. Which gives you the characters' names, a little more action, and again, I just felt that felt like it was a kind of a um, personality list trailer, which is like the opposite of what you expect from Borderlands. Yeah, take it for what you will. Like if you like it or not, I don't think anyone would argue that P- Borderlands lacks personality, and right. these trailers felt that way to me. So we'll hmm. say in that initial trailer, you see a lot of returning characters. Maya's in it a lot. I think you see Brick. Brick's playing like a saxophone at one moment. Yeah, which, man. Like that was one of the rare instances of like, okay, this game is still fun potentially. Yeah. Uh, but also Reese from uh, Tales from the Borderlands is shown. I guess he's still leading whatever company that was that he was leading gun company, which is cool to see them actually integrate that Hyperion? Telltale series. Into the- yes. Hyperion. Okay. That's what it is. Uh, and then in the new trailer, we see the new the four new playable characters. There's Moz or Moe's, uh, who's a chick that she has like a big mech suit as her special attack. There's yeah. Flack, FL4K, who's a robot who's also a Beastmaster. I don't know what the implications of that are. You don't really see it in the trailer. It just, yeah, I don't know. Again, it, they're just not that effective. You don't see that much of what is going on. 
And then the new siren is called Amara. She's like a buff black chick who she has a special power with a bunch of buff fists that like slam into the ground. That looks pretty cool. And then there's Zane who is, he does gadgets. He's like the tech guy. Okay. Uh, and then the enemies are called the Calypso twins and they're the leaders of some new cult that you're fighting against. That's kind of all we really know about the story. Um, the game comes out on September 13th, which was leaked by the Borderlands Twitter account, I think it was, which was then deleted, <laughs> and then they confirmed it with this new trailer. So right. that was a bit of a shit show in and of itself. Uh, it feels like at times Gearbox is just kind of like, when it comes to PR, they need to get their shit together. <laughs> they just seem right. to be really bad at that. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. We now know there are four different versions of the game, which even when we logged in to play the Borderlands remaster, it showed like, hey, pre-order and a bunch of different versions yeah, of Yeah, there's it, like a splash a screen, annoying. and then there's always an ad in the top right on the main menu yeah, on the main and menu. all this other stuff. Like, there's a menu yeah. option to go pre-order it. Yeah. Can't blame them, but it is a little obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, there's a standard version. And then they have the deluxe version, which come with different skin, like head and body skins, weapon skins, XP and loot availability boosters. There's a weapon set called the Toy Box weapon set, and that one's 80 bucks. And then there's the super deluxe version, which comes with all that stuff, as well as weapon skins called the Butt Stallion Pack, which sounds very Borderlands. Well, that's a, that's a Handsome Jack joke. Oh, is it? You're yeah, right. Yeah, I remember it his Butt it Stallion. Is. Yes, I remember. And then that also comes with all four DLC packs. And that one's 100 bucks at launch or to pre-order. But then after the game comes out, they've said that's going to go up in price. So yeah. with this kind of thing, like if you know you're going to get the DLC, that's probably the one to get. Right. That makes sense. Um, like you would want to get yeah. the season pass. Yeah, Exactly. Yada. And then finally, which is exclusive to GameStop, is the Diamond Loot Chest Collector's Edition, which is 250 bucks. I'm sure it's very limited quantities. But it comes with all that same stuff digitally, but it also comes in an actual loot chest with 10 collectible figures and a cloth map and keychains. So that's like the, if you're a Borderlands person, that's yeah. the thing. I got that for Borderlands 2, the loot chest edition. Oh, okay. Was it worth it? Um, I don't remember if it was 250 I liked it. Mm. Uh, it was a cool little plastic loot chest and it had the, the bus driver bobblehead. Okay. Uh, and some like lithographs, and then a cloth map of the wasteland, mm -hmm. or the I guess the borderlands. <laughs> yeah, what's the planet called? I don't remember. Uh, some of the P, right? I have no idea. But yes, Urgh. that yeah, that planet. That's what it is. Planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, P for planet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess they're doing that again, which is neat. I bet. Well, because like it makes sense for like super fans who still have their loot chests from Borderlands yes. 2, they have now another loot chest that they can yes. put alongside it, I guess. And like, the ten figures is kind of a cool thing. Like, the sure. other one just came yeah. with, like, a bobblehead. If head. you're hardcore into Borderlands, that's cool that it's there. Yeah. That's way more than I would spend on something like that, but Yeah, I'll probably do the I'm Super sure Deluxe. Sell out. I feel like I will go ahead and get the Season Pass one, because yeah. I have a strong feeling I'll wind up with all the DLC one way or another. I agree. The, the difference there is, like, you're still paying 40 bucks for the four DLC packs. So, right. like, is it really that much cheaper to just go all in now? And then if we we, we may get burnt out and not want to play it, that, that's my only thing. Like, how much is it actually going to save you, I guess is my point, to do, to do it early? Probably, like, like 10 that. bucks. Yeah. And then, like, is it worth it committing yourself to that? I don't know. 
But I guess you get a bunch of the other stuff, the skins, etc. That'll be fun to use. Blah, right. Blah, blah. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to hard to determine what character I would want to play until we see a lot more of them. But is there a character that you're leaning towards? Because obviously we're playing together. So yeah, I like either like the tech gadget guy or the big mech chick. Those seem yeah, pretty okay. cool. Th- well, that's cool because if I was gonna lean, it would be either on the siren character because I think the siren characters are always really fun, or the beastmaster robot guy. So there you go. We won't conflict. Yeah, but. That may change once we learn a little bit more. I tend to like side more with the uh, more commander soldier classes, just because they're a little more straightforward. I tend to like that, and I would guess the gadget dude is more of that style character. Right. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I'm I'm certainly ready for more Borderlands, hoping that as we learn more, I get a little more excited about if there is new stuff or if it. So I, more like set expectations. Is it really just more Borderlands, or are they actually doing anything new? I had posited that it would be really cool if we had, like, if it was always four-player, even if you were playing solo, and you had the other three people were just AI-controlled. Just because playing Borderlands by yourself is just a... It's not the ideal way to play the game. It's, yeah, it's like a weird, empty feeling. Yes, so any way to get around that would really be helpful. Because if I was going to play it, like, obviously I'm going to play with you. And if Cody wants to play, that would be cool too. But, like, I'm also going to want to do a solo run just because I'll get through it much faster if I'm right. playing it by myself than to get all of us together. You know, even playing Borderlands 1, we started it earlier this week and we've planned on playing it a couple different times and they've all fallen through. It's just right. hard to do that. So speaking of, obviously it's too late to say it's announced because it's already out, but Borderlands Remastered is now available on PC and consoles. We're playing it already. It's 30 bucks. Yeah. Is that right? So that's pretty affordable. Supports Um, 4K. Yes. Uh, A lot of visual improvements. I will say the game does look a lot better. Yeah. It doesn't look brand new. It looks like an up old game, but it looks much better. They have new uh, weapons in the game. All the DLC packs are included, which is cool. I don't know that I ever played the DLC in the original game. It also has an uh, updated mini-map. Um, they added shift codes, and go- like the gold chest for shift codes and stuff, which is neat. So <clears throat> those are all cool additions uh, to the original game. And they also did additional graphical updates to the Handsome Collection, which is Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel. And those are free updates for people that already have those on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Um, it's just a download to, to make those 4K, and that's available now as well. Okay. Um, Life is Strange Season 2. I keep forgetting that this is happening because I played the first episode right. and then it was it was so long in between the second episode which is now out but I still haven't played it well Don't Nod has come out and announced when the other episodes are coming out and I'm angry so episode 3 comes out May 9th episode 4 is August 22nd and then episode 5 the final episode is December 3rd so that's 3 plus months in between episodes that sucks a lot like, that's too long in between episodes. To really keep up with the story and the characters and get invested, that's just not ideal. And the fact that the final episode is slated for early December is going to make it really easy for that to end up being delayed into 2020. And then I'm going to be real frustrated for the game to... Like, it will have taken a year and a half for all five episodes to come out, even if they stick to their existing schedule. Right. That sucks. Like, that's terrible. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty annoyed about that. And I'm going to have to figure out like when I'm going to play these. Because I can't wait until it all comes out. Because I'm going to forget the first episode by then. And I don't want to replay it. So like I don't, I don't know what to do. It's, it's, I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed with this. Yeah. I, I'm just, since I haven't played any of it, I'm waiting till it's all out. Yeah. Because I don't want to be stuck in your position. Totally. Had I known, I would have waited. But I was like, okay, it might be two months in between the first two episodes. But then they've got to get to like a month or a month and a half. That's what they did with the first season. Like it's, And that's a speedy enough clip where I could keep up. But three months in between episodes is crazy long. Yeah. That's like worse than Telltale a lot, a lot of their games. Um, okay, so we mentioned <clears throat> how Ubisoft says Assassin's Creed is skipping 2019. Well, we have some indications about what the next Assassin's Creed game might be when it does come out, and that is Vikings. So there was a poster that people found in The Division 2, which was just like a random innocuous poster of Vikings, and some guy on YouTube spotted the Apple of Eden in the poster, and so the interpretation is like it's a teaser an easter egg of the next assassin's creed which ubisoft does a lot they kind of cross pollinate between their different properties a lot so it makes sense that they would do it this way uh since then kotaku is saying they have multiple sources confirming that the next game will be in the viking age this totally makes sense they can have the ship to ship combat which is now a staple of the game they can keep the kind of like more bloody uh actiony combat that they've had with the greeks because that ties in with the vikings um a lot of like you know the seafaring exploration kind of stuff that they've done in the past couple of games this just seems like a a transition that makes sense to me yeah it'll just be a little weird because god of war just did the norse mythology and so to have assassin's creed also touch on that and then there's rumors that god of war will then transcend the norse mythology and go into like other stuff that maybe Assassin's Creed has already touched on. It's right. like the two of them kind of pirouette. Like they could do this. Egyptian or something. Yeah. But I, I feel like obviously Odyssey and to a lesser extent origins touched on the gods, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to in this, whatever this Vikings game might be because previously Assassin's Creed, like they didn't talk about the gods. It wasn't like that, like the historical side of that in Assassin's Creed yeah. two or anything like that. So they don't necessarily have to lean into that. Um, but even if they do, I feel like there's a way to differentiate it. God of War is so, <laughs> it's weird to say, like, grounded and fantastical at the same time. But it had, just has such a different feel than Assassin's Creed does that I wouldn't mind it if there, if there was some crossover there. Yeah. Um, these next couple is more, like, I, I only included these just because I'm, I'm interested to see if, if you're interested. So, the Wild Appalachia update is available for Fallout 76. It's a free update. It's got a bunch of like kind of small improvements, new backpacks that have more storage, more photo options, um, trading with vendors for legendary items, new settlement or not settlement, but like camp stuff, decorations, etc. Uh, brewing and distilling, new events. So it's just kind of like a bunch of smaller things, but really, you know, and it, and it does have like some new locations and some little story things, but mostly just curious, like, does any of that make you want to try it again? Like, any of the improvements they've made? Like, are you at a point where you're curious to check it out again? Yeah, I mean, I've been there for a little bit. I just haven't for whatever. I just it. keep forgetting about it Yeah. Um, to jump back into it. And so, like, probably once the show's over, maybe around E3, mm. once I've caught up on other stuff that I wanted to do, I'll hop back into it. I will play it again. I want to. I just... 
am kind of waiting. Maybe I'll wait till like the big summer DLC drop or something. I'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, I'm not interested. <laughs> just until they can figure a way to make it feel more like a single player game, <laughs> which I just don't think they're gonna do. The game's just not for me, unfortunately. Uh, but who knows? Maybe if they put out. I think it's either the second or the third DLC pack that they have planned has a lot more story stuff to it. And that, you know, if the reception of that is good, they make some additional, you know, quality of life improvements. Might get me to, to try give it a try again. Yeah. Um, okay, so Turtle Rock Studios, makers of Left 4 Dead, have announced a new game called Back for Blood, which is another zombie survival co-op game. But it's not Left 4 Dead. They are very clear that it's not Left 4 Dead, but it's basically Left 4 Dead. Uh so they're doing this with WB Publishing, um, has some familiar elements as well as some new stuff to make it unique, they say. There will be a campaign and a PvP mode. They were very adamant there will not be a Battle Royale mode, <laughs> which is nice for them to clarify. Uh, they're treating this like a AAA game, so it's not going to be kind of a smaller budget title. And it's coming to PS4, Xbox One, and PC. No release date. I'm sure it's still pretty early on in the going, but... Uh, after the failure that was Evolve, it's good to see them get back to their roots a little bit. I'm sure that a lot of people will be uh, pretty hyped about this. I know you you were more of a Left 4 Dead person than I was. Is this something that, like, you are you excited to see them do this? As long as I have someone to play with, I'll play it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's kind of where I am on it. Yeah, I'm not, um, like, chomping at the bit for it. Right. Like, they kind of, like, just, like, the sprinting zombies, fast, frenetic, like wave base like fighting these like giant groups of enemies mm-hmm. countering the different types and all that kind of stuff it's fun but I, yeah. I think those games also have like a really bad uh design in where like the enemies that are built to incapacitate players make it very unfriendly for just one or two people to play right you kind of need the full four group right. of four um i think that's pr- just the most frustrating part about those games is like the smoker that will like lash you with its tongue, like having control rested away from you is never fun. And I don't understand why video games still do that, but (laughs) yeah, I feel like Uh, it has been a while, but it's been a while since left for dead too. So maybe they've kind of learned some stuff and um, we'll have some new gameplay elements in there. I would certainly hope so. Otherwise they're just making left for dead three. And like, I'm sure a lot of people would still be excited, but it's kind of like why at this point, even Left 4 Dead 2 was very, very similar to the first game. Yeah, it was like, hey, we have melee weapons now. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I've talked before about um, the maker of Her Story, the next game called Telling Lies, which, again, is like a live-action, interactive, kind of fiction sort of game. Uh, they put out a first trailer for Telling Lies where you learn a little bit more about it, and I think Game Informer did like a Q&A to learn a little bit more as well. So it's described as a political thriller where you're pulling files from a government database and um, you're still watching like recorded video of these live action characters, but they're like webcam footage. So it's not like a interview testimonial style. Um, it's webcam footage and you have access to much longer clips, not like little five to 10 second chunks, but like entire scenes, but you're only getting one side, right? So they might be having a, a conversation between the two webcams, but you're only able to see one person's at a time. Okay. You're still searching for like keywords and phrases and stuff to pull it up, but you can scrub um, the clips. So like, hey, if it's a five minute video, you can 
you can rewind, you can fast forward, you can run it at different speeds, that sort of thing. So that, that should be pretty cool. Saying there's over nine hours of footage, which is a significant uptick from what was in her story. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It's just cool. And obviously they're justifying a lot of the, the interactivity because it takes place in modern day. Whereas her story was, I don't remember, it was like the 90s or something. So it was a lot more limited um, from right. a technological perspective. But I mean, her story was such a unique experience. It was so cool. It was very... It was barely a video game, but it was one of those. It was one of the rare experiences where, like, I played through it with my wife, and she was super into it. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of dive in and, and try this new one too. Hopefully, because it's more modern day, and the characters are like younger, attractive people, that they're not like insufferable, because <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. would really turn me off if like the characters were annoying. Yeah. Um, just want to mention real quick. So, game control, which is coming from. Uh, What's the name of the studio? Remedy. Remedy. Thank you. I want to say Quantic Dream because I'm thinking Quantum Break. Yes. Makers of Alan Wake and Quantum Break, their new game, Control, is coming out on August 27th. I only bring it up because Game Informer last month had like a really, like a month long kind of deep dive and it was their cover story in their magazine. And I just loved reading about it. I'm super hyped for this game. It looks really awesome. Super atmospheric. Uh, kind of the, that what they do really well world building interesting mysterious stories so i'm, I'm super pumped about it uh when it comes out in at the end of august yeah it looks and good. then um hello games has kind of updated the next step for no man's sky next <laughs> which was their recent kind of update on no man's sky and they're calling calling like the future of the game no man's sky beyond and the next update is online update, which is free, has new online modes, uh, ability to interact socially with other players. It's more about like bringing players together in the game and creating that multiplayer experience that a lot of people expected when it was first announced. So that's cool. Um, they still are saying they don't consider it an MMO because there's still a lot of um, individual aspects to it. It's more of a, it's still more of a survival game, but you can interact with other players. Uh, right. Yeah. So it's it's a free update. No subscription, um, no microtransactions. They're sticking to that model. So I don't know, man. Like obviously, this game burned a lot of people when it first came out, uh, which sucks. But everything they've done with it has seemed really, really cool. I still haven't <laughs> been able to dive into it. Um, one day I will dive into No Man's Sky, and probably by that point, there's going to be like it'll be like ten updates in. It's going to be a completely different experience from from other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd be like so. trying to hop into Warframe. Right, exactly. So yeah, it's just cool to see them continue to support the game and, and kind of put in new systems and clearly make it the game that they always wanted to make it. Um, I just feel like they, this could have all been avoided had they released it as a quote-unquote early access game when it came out. Yeah. Just the fact that it was a full $60 release with all that Sony marketing budget behind it, it just it was going to be impossible to live up to ex- expectations given the size of the studio. Okay, um, so there's a new Zelda game in the works that Monolith Soft is working on, and we know this because they're currently hiring, and they explicitly say that they're hiring for a Legend of Zelda project. Doesn't doesn't necessarily mean this is the next core Zelda game, but they did contribute on Breath of the Wild, so it would make sense if they have become now the lead Zelda studio for the next entry. Um this is the team behind the Xenoblade Chronicles games, so it makes sense for them from an open-world perspective. 
They could certainly add some like RPG elements. I'm not sure that that falls in line with like what Zelda is if Nintendo would want to do that, but just seeing the correlation between the Xenoblade Chronicles games. Um, and they're also apparently working on a non-Zelda game, which could be a Xenoblade Chronicles sequel, or it could be something completely new. But uh, just thought that was cool to see. Like, I guess it has been a couple years since Breath of the Wild came out, and makes sense yeah. that they're like ramping up on whatever the next thing might be. If it's a Breath of the Wild sequel or a completely new game that's totally different, the way that they've done with most Zelda games, we'll be very curious to see uh, what, what direction they take. If they can really go back after doing Breath of the Wild and the success that that game had from being like such a big open world, if they can not do that again, would be uh, will be interesting. Um, I'm going to skip some of these other ones. Who gives a shit? There's a Call of Duty mobile game. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, Castle Crashers Remasters coming to PS4 and Switch. Uh, Castle Crashers was good. Yeah. But who, but who cares? <laughs> right. Um, new game coming from the, the studio behind Hyper Light Drifter. Uh, it's called Solar Ash Kingdom, which is a weird-ass name. Um, it looks like rhyme visually to me. It's very, like, not cartoony in, a, like, a bright, cheerful way, but kind of like in a sad Disney movie way, but very, like, colorful, kind of painterly. Um, but it has some of the hyperlight kind of tech sci-fi elements to it. Um, looks because hyperlight drifter was kind of that top-down, you know, pixelated beat 'em up sort of vibe to it. This seems to be like a, in a 3D game space, and I don't know if you have like open-world movement or if it's still somewhat linear. Can't really tell from the trailer, but that'll be interesting. And then uh, it's coming to Epic Game Store at least. That's what they showed in the trailer. Don't know if it's exclusive yet, but. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Hyperlight Drifter was a really cool game. It was one of those where, like, it was very hard, and so it was tough for me to, like, sink my teeth into just because I didn't really have the patience for it. But I really liked the vibe and kind of the uh, the visual aesthetic, and I thought the kind of dodge-rolly uh, hack-and-slash mechanics were, were pretty tight. They are bringing Hyperlight Drifter to Netflix. Um, not, not, I shouldn't say Netflix. They are bringing it to television. It is by the producer of the Netflix Castlevania series. Uh, so it's still super early stages of development, but the the creator of Hyperlight Drifter is involved as a as a producer, so it should be, you know, relatively faithful to the the world of the the video game. Um, but yeah, I'll, you know, Castlevania was super successful. I never checked it out. Did you watch it? No. People loved it, so yeah. I don't know. I've never really played a Castlevania game for more than like twenty five minutes, so that's fair. Hard to care about it. Yeah. Um. Okay, and then we just got some trailers for some some movies and stuff. We got a new trailer for the Aladdin movie. Thought it was real boring, generic, and uh, Will Smith looks dumb. Yeah. And the dude that plays Aladdin seems really flat performance. So it it made me think a lot about the live action Beauty and the Beast. Where just like from the get go, I was like, this just looks bad. Not interested. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever want to watch a live action Disney film any of these reimaginings i'm going mm. to try to die having never watched any of them <laughs> yeah i i feel like theoretically there like there's a world where one could be successful but they just feel unnecessary because i think yeah. i'm trying to remember when it came out but there was like a teaser trailer for the lion king one too i don't remember if we've talked about this already in the podcast but even that like it looked like a shot for shot remake of the lion king but just cg and i'm like why why make this why do this it just, I just don't love the lion king is one of the greatest movies ever made why do this it's right. stupid so i don't know at least with this like this is like 
an actual live action movie. It's not just all CG. That makes it feel even more pointless. So I don't know. Right. We also got the first trailer for the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Yeah. And I have literally no opinion. I like I just I watched it and I was like, okay, I don't give a shit at all from this trailer. Like it doesn't seem interesting. At my all. whole thing, my whole takeaway was, man, Joaquin Phoenix can do the Christian Bale thing. He can lose a lot of weight for a Batman oh. film. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I like. I like Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's a brilliant actor, and the Joker's a great character. And the fact that I watched this trailer and was like, "Who fucking cares about this?" is like a bummer. So I don't know, dude. I was just very meh about the whole thing. Yeah. Some good news. James Gunn is directing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He's back on. This is great news. Because it means that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is happening. Yes. And that it's not going to be completely torn apart. Because, like, when he got fired, his script got thrown out, too. Right. And the whole cast was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, there there was a very good chance that it it wouldn't have happened. Uh, with him being fired, which I'm sure was a big reason they decided to bring him back. Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, obviously, it's really good news. Obviously, the cast has come out in, in support of him and talking about their excitement. Uh, they're going to predict be, begin production after James Gunn wraps Suicide Squad, which he is still doing. So he is still directing the reboot-ish of Suicide Squad. Yeah. The movie's called The Suicide Squad, so that'll be easy to tell him apart. That's crazy. And, like, they've said that it's a reboot, but a lot of the people are returning. Like, uh, what's-her-face, Victoria Davis is back as Amanda Waller. They're, like, they're, Will Smith is not back as Deadshot. And the rumor was Idris Elba was going to play Deadshot, but he refused to play Deadshot because he didn't want to, like, be disrespectful to Will Smith. So he's in the movie, but as a different character. And then the dude that played Captain Boomerang is claiming that he's in this movie as Captain Boomerang still. Margot Robbie, nobody knows if she's back as Harley Quinn, but apparently DC is still working on a Joker and Harley Quinn movie. Apparently they're still working on a Birds of Prey movie that she is in and a Gotham City Sirens movie that she is in. So like, is What's-His-Face's Joker going to be in this Joker-Harley Quinn movie or is it going to be Joaquin Phoenix's Joker with Margot Robbie? Like, what the fuck are they doing over there? So stupid and random. I don't understand. I love James Gunn, and I believe that he could make a good Suicide Squad movie, but I'm not convinced he could make a good Suicide Squad movie with all this other shit. Like, Like all this baggage. Given the shit show that Suicide Suicide Squad was, you have to wait, like, a solid eight or nine years before you say those words again. Yeah. Yeah. Can you really reboot a movie that came out, like, two years ago? With some of the same characters and actors, this, this, what this feels like is that that early two thousands like we're just gonna throw superhero movies at the wall, see what sticks, and like mm-hmm. don't care about market like marketing confusion or any of yeah. that stuff. We just like everyone's doing everything, and then if any of it lands at all, that stuff's gonna get a sequel, right? Like, we will retry it and redo it and change actors and change characters as much as we can until we get the right formula. Like, <laughs> the different Hulks that were going on, like, the different, um, all the different Spider-Man movies that we've had, 
all of the like different um oh shit um oh what was it i don't know oh it, it, oh it was the fact that um what's his face played daredevil and green lantern no ryan reynolds Ben Affleck played Daredevil. Oh, Ben Affleck played Daredevil. And then Ryan, Ryan Reynolds played Green Lantern and who else? Deadpool. Deadpool. In the X-Men Wolverine Origins movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, I mean, that happens all the time. Because, like, what's yeah, his I face? Uh, Chris Evans, the Captain America, he also played uh, Johnny Storm in the original right. Fantastic Four movies. Right. Yeah, yeah, that I happens all that the does time. happen a lot. It's That's dumb. Just, that doesn't help it. No, certainly not. I don't know, dude. Like... Uh, just when it comes to yeah. DC movies, I know like Shazam is out now, and like the reaction has been relatively positive. It, it's a bit more of a kid-friendly version of, of a DC movie, which is like totally against their dark and brooding whatever right. that they initially tried to do under Zack Snyder. Thankfully, they're moving away from that. I haven't seen it, but like I've heard decent things, so maybe they're getting back on track. I know people like people were pretty mixed on Aquaman, but the general response was like it's better than most of the other DC movies. <laughs> very very yeah. low bar but it's something <laughs> right um, so i don't know dude it's i still have no faith in what dc is doing but hopefully they get it together we'll see <laughs> right. um but yeah that's everything that's wild no, man no uh no hate of the week this week just because i mean i have a new daughter it's hard to like be negative i also don't have the energy <laughs> to rant <laughs> about anything that's probably more what it is honestly um but yeah, no no emails or anything. Um, if you have any subjects or responses, um, you want to start spark a conversation, send to info at shayhateseverything.com or tweet at me at shay underscore castle or write a message at the Facebook page slash shayhateseverything. Those are also the best places. I put out updates of like, hey, sorry, no podcast this week, etc. So if you want to stay up to date on what's happening with the podcast, definitely follow those channels. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up with something we don't hate. So I don't hate being a dad. It's pretty straightforward. But I don't hate it. It's hard and exhausting. But it's good. I don't hate beer. <laughs> yeah, beer's also been helpful. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll crack one open at night. Yeah, I've had something to drink the last two nights. It's been nice. Yeah. Good it's way to relax. Refreshing. Totally. I'm I not a big it. beer drinker. I'm pretty picky. Me and I need to be in the right mood, but uh, when I'm in the right mood, they're 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 good. I will drink like once every few months. I'll have a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really need it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got time, man. The you can show's go crack one kicking open. my ass. Sunday evening, perfect time for it. Yeah, maybe not. I technically go back to work tomorrow. I'm working from home this week, but I am back at work. Uh, so I'm probably going to have one tonight, too. I'm going to need it. Yeah. That's well, going to do cheers. it, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Three-hour episode. That's a hefty, supersized one. <sighs> Welcome back after a month, three weeks of absence. And we'll be back to our regularly, every other week schedule uh, as best we can. So keep an eye out, and we will see you all in the next episode. Peace out. Peace out.